Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, my, uh, my guest name is Ruth, and it's time once again for the Pulpy Movie Awards. Yes. 2023. We're here. It's wild. Time has flown by. We made it through another year. It feels like we only did one of these a few weeks ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, we're, we we don't want to waste too much time. I have twenty three categories to get through, yeah. and um, and uh, Ruth is gonna share his own picks from a lot along the way. Maybe not necessarily a full nomination list, but you know, yeah. we'll we'll have fun. Yeah, it's the it's the puppies, baby. Yeah, and we're going to just get right into it. I think. Um, obviously, the Oscar nominations came out this week, but we. That'll come up, I think, yeah. over the course of the episode. We don't need to do a think about that. Um, Literally know almost nothing about what's been nominated for Oscars this year. So I will probably be flabbergasted by anything that is brought up. Like, I found out Barbie got a Best Picture nomination, like, two days ago. And was like... Yeah, it did. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure, I well, guess. Well, let's get into all of that. We're going to kick things off with the worst picture category. Mm. Let's get the negativity out of the way yeah. so we can build up from here. For My five nominees for worst picture are Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, mm. Golda, Haunted Mansion, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, and The Zone of Interest, which... Uh, I feel the need to back that up a little bit. Yeah, because... I was going to say, interesting. <laughs> Zone of Interest, obviously one of the nominees for Best Picture this <laughs> yeah. year. You'll remember in 2001, I, I gave Worst Picture to A Beautiful Mind, which had won Best Picture. Zone of Interest, I, you know, I, I, I get why people like it, and I even almost get why it was nominated for Best Picture. For me, I found it to be really kind of dull and blunt um, about, you know, ideas that aren't really all that interesting to begin with. I don't think it... I, I think it's a little too obvious for most of it for the ending to be such a such a subtlety. It's like, you, you, you haven't revealed anything. You've, like, closed it off. I'm, I'm not really making sense right now, but <laughs> I, I don't think Zone of Interest is a good movie. I, I don't think it does a good job of executing its themes. I think The Curse, the Nathan Fielder show, does a better job of expressing some of the same things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm sh- there are movies that I probably think are like artistically worse than Zone of Interest, but few movies made me more mad this year, I guess. That's a good metric. And I, I fully, I like, I fully trust, like you're telling me things and I'm like, yeah. That seems like that could be the case with any time a movie starts delving into like the Holocaust. I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, this could go a few ways, and I feel like very few of them. I don't know. I'm always skeptical because it's like, why do we need to keep making that movie again and again and again? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think there's an idea out there that this is a uh, you know a different perspective, a different type of holocaust movie that there's somehow more of a more of a need for i i think i don't know i i i found i didn't i don't think it really broke any new ground on the subject yeah 
But the rest of these are really bad too. Um, <laughs> I, I I think the winner for me is going to be Haunted Mansion, which I probably didn't intend to see. Uh, it was my friend Cody who ended up taking me to it, and uh, yeah, just so bad. And it, it, it's like it, it's bad in the pedestrian way that like there's it, there's no reason for it to exists um which i wouldn't say about most movies but it's also bad in the it's also bad bad (laughs) like it's got there there's a scene i always think about where like it's one of it's like the paper folding scene in a wrinkle in time they're like trying to show like this complex concept but it's just a venn diagram like what she's describing is just there's two things and they meet in the middle here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, Haunted Mansion is the worst film of 2023. I I'm glad that I didn't see it. It's mm-hmm. one that I heard about was like I I will have to be forced if I ever see yeah. this. Yeah. I think my worst movie of the year is probably Operation Fortune. Um Yeah. Which makes me sad cuz like I am I am a diehard Guy Ritchie like mm-hmm. stan. Like it's bad. Um, but it was just, it's not his best work in any capacity. And like, it was fine. I don't know. The movie that made me the angriest was the new Mission Impossible. But mm. I recognized that like, it was made, it was technically made on a level right. of, like, I'll let it sit, even though it was probably the least favorite thing that I saw this year mm. over <laughs> Operation Fortune. But like, damn, I have my own reasons for that. We can get into that <laughs> at some point. We will uh in a little bit um yeah uh operation fortune was pretty bad there are the things i the things that have stuck in my mind about it that i like are that are that his name is orson fortune that um and hugh grant and aubrey plaza but like yeah the rest of the movie is 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 wallpaper to me yeah yeah like carrie was is a great addition to like the 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 Guy Ritchie like staple of figures, and I'm really excited to see him. I think he's in uh, League of Un- Ungentlemanly Warfare, mm. and I'm excited about that. But like the best part of that movie was uh, Hugh Grant, and I can't remember the actor's name, but just like that whole weird psychosexual thing that happened. I was like, that's mm-hmm. cool. I like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like more explicit than what he did in The Gentleman, which was again very, like very similar in like is Hugh Grant going to kiss this man, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like yeah, I feel like Operation Fortune is very tame compared to like yes. What was Guy Ritchie the stuff that made Guy Ritchie <laughs> a name, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that he's moved in that direction, sort of in a general sense over the course of his career, from like getting increasingly blander in a way with with how he approaches action. Yeah, like I mean, the, I mean, I mean, not even just like just like trending towards the middle, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I think, I think he's still got the ability. Like the gentleman was bonkers. Mm. The gentleman had... There were people that left the theater, like, a third of the way in the movie. They're so mad at the gentleman. So, like, I think he's still got it, but uh-huh. he's not always playing with all his cards. Did you see The Covenant? I did not. That's the only film of his I haven't seen. And I think I was just really scared to see what Guy Ritchie had to say about, like, Afghanistan. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give this a minute. Okay, guy. Like, I, I love you, but I got to... I'll approach this eventually. <laughs> I was kind of... I was ready to just kind of hate it and be bored by it, and it actually is pretty entertaining. Um, okay. And Jake Gyllenhaal, I, I always love to see him. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was the first Guy Ritchie movie in a long time where, where the fact that it's Guy Ritchie, like, enhances... The, mm. the baseline you know okay yeah i get that so uh yeah worst picture i mean <laughs> if, if it wasn't gonna be haunted mansion it might be ant-man and the wasp quantumania which is just a really bad movie um but yeah you know we yeah. it, it 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 ultimately did a good thing for society by bombing <laughs> so yes. like i i applaud you for sitting through that i couldn't mm. do it well, uh, on a related note, though, the next category we're going to do is Best Sequel. Okay. I think last year this was Best Franchise Film, but I decided yeah. to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so things like, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's couldn't, couldn't be in this. Yeah. Barbie. There's yeah. just too much, to, too much to get through. So It was a big year for corporate films. Big year for corporate films. Yeah, there's a lot to get into there. Flaming Hot nominated for Oscar. <laughs> I didn't even realize it came out. Yeah. And now I'm learning it was nominated for an Oscar. Okay. If for, for a Diane Warren song, but... Uh, okay. Song can sneak some weird ones in there. Yeah, Flaming Hot is... Um, Flaming Hot is, 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 is interesting in the sense that um, it's kind of like doing a Wolf of Wall Street thing, which is interesting and how it changes your perspective on the main guy i think eva longoria said that like she she's wanted to direct something for a long time and flaming hot was just the only thing they'd let her direct (laughs) yeah but anyway sequel is what we're here to talk about and my nominees are a haunting in venice aquaman and the lost kingdom Mm. the hunger games the ballad of songbirds and snakes john wick chapter four and magic mike's last dance this is fantastic. The, this is good. I love that yeah. all those movies came out this year. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more exciting than like Spider-Man 4, Spider-Man 5, Captain America yeah. 7. And like I'm even saying that with like James Wan's Aquaman in there. James Wan's Aquaman right. doesn't count as a franchise film to me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was so glad to love Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom because I was on, I was rooting for it, and I was like a little bit rooting for all the DC movies this year. Um, I not the Flash, but I like the Flash, um, <laughs> kind of. Uh, but Shazam two, I was like, I love the first Shazam, and then I just it was just terrible. I nominated it for worst picture, as you saw. Yeah. Um, Blue Beetle should have been the, a six out of ten, and it was like a four and a half. Um, Blue Beetle yeah. turned. My, I have, I know someone who has been a continued to be a diehard Marvel fan and was mm. so disappointed by Blue Beetle. He was like, "I don't know about these superhero movies." And I was like, "Thank you, Blue Beetle." Hell yeah! <laughs> Turning another Hell one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom is just a treat from from start <laughs> to finish. <laughs> And the rest of these, A Haunting in Venice, really took me by surprise. I didn't hate the other Perot movies, but I I didn't see that series going somewhere <laughs> in yeah. the way that it did the hunger games prequel another one that just like 
didn't expect to be good and then it was really good and then magic my flash dance i knew i was gonna love but it was also very surprising in a way that you know each of those movies is very different from each other um and john wick chapter four some of the best i think it has i think it's my favorite john wick movie i think yeah. the roundabout scene is one of the best action scenes i've ever seen <laughs> When I saw John Wick 4, my response was primarily just finally a fucking good John Wick sequel. Because, like, the first one, I've said for years that the first John Wick was, like, a perfect little one-off movie. And it was so stupid that they kept making them and making the bureaucracy more intense. Because it's like, that's not what I liked about the first one. (laughs) And this was the first one where I was like, okay, this is a good, fun movie. This is something. Yeah. Yeah. They just... (laughs) In a way, each one kind of escalates, and I think it took until four for it to reach a different level. Like, you know, John Wick is, like, a very tight and contained and, like, stylish thing. It's, like, over the top, but it's not uh, balletic in the way that the later ones are. But it had to get... It had to get more and more theatrical until John Wick Chapter 4 made it, like, okay, this is a new thing. Yeah. It's very much like the Fast and Furious, where it's like, yeah. they were trying to find a way to make a sequel to this thing that was like so fun and successful, and it wasn't until this one that they realized, like, oh, we need to like get goofy with it. Yeah. And like goofy with it in a way, I don't know, the story of the third one, like the script in the third one for me was like so weak and mm-hmm. lame, and I couldn't stand it. And something about this one felt more... I don't know. Like, it felt more grounded, which is silly because it's, like, not grounded. But, like, the story held me in more than whatever the hell was going on in the third one. I don't even remember. He has to chop his finger off at one point. He gets lost in the yeah. desert. <laughs> I, think the, I, I think the fourth one is the first one where, like, I remember characters other than yeah. John Wick, you know? Yeah. Like, Skarsgård with his little hand on his hip the entire Bill movie. Skarsgård, <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, Donnie Yen, obviously. I just feel like it um, finds these interesting ways to work off of John Wick in a way that the other ones couldn't quite. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I guess the other character I remember is the TikTok man from from movie (laughs) three, but uh, my sequel winner is going to be Magic Mike's Last Dance, though. Yeah. If there's a new Magic Mike out, it's going to be the one for me. Yeah. There were some great sequels this year. I really liked the new Fast and Furious. Mm. I have complicated thoughts about Jason Momoa's character. Mm. Mm. But I really liked the movie overall. I loved, like, some of the stuff it gets into felt like real Speed Racer, which is always my touchstone for race car movies. And I have... Totally. I had a big race car movie thing this year where I just sat down and was, like, watching all of these older movies. Like, I rewatched Cars for the first time in years. I was yet again blown away by how good of a movie that is. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I watched Senna, like the brilliant documentary about Ayrton Senna. Anyway, part of that was because I love Gran Turismo so much, which we will get into. Um, but yeah, Jason Momoa's character felt like a direct caricature of the modern version of Queer Eye. And that felt really like insidious and scary to me. That like Totally. In the se- I mean, in the sense that these movies are like about family and have yeah. these christian undertones that come in yeah. at random times it, it, there there's something bad about that <laughs> like the fact that your villain is like this 
this caricature who's here to break up this, you know, not quite nuclear family, but like to break up the family. It was like, oh, so a man who paints his nails and like is gonna like tear apart your family. Mm, I don't, I don't know that there's themes here that I love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. And I, I don't know. Jason Momoa was acting his heart out. Like, I think he did an amazing job with it. I just don't necessarily think that, like, I love the direction that, like, the script took yeah, the franchise. <laughs> I agree with that, yeah. Some of my favorite sequels, though, are definitely Saw X mm-hmm. and John Wick 4. And I did enjoy Evil Dead Rise. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite. But I loved it. And Creed 3. Oh Creed my 3 is real God, good. Creed 3 was amazing. Real, real good. I just think the first Creed is so good that, like, yes. it's always going to be like, well, it's just, it's another Creed, you know? That kind of happened with yeah. Rocky, too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Creed 3 is great. Creed 3 is, like, something else. I love how much it stands on its own. Because the Creed movies have always stood on their own, but, like, Rocky's been there. And to finally have a Creed movie that, like, fully stands on its own. Rocky doesn't even really come up outside of, like, one reference. And it's so solid. And it paves the way for the franchise to just keep going. And I love it. Yeah. And that, like, again, those, like, anime-influenced, like, yes. heightened scenes that, that, that Michael B. Jordan directs are, like... It, it's turning Creed into its own thing. Yes. Yeah. And I I feel like Creed always felt like its own thing. But this is, like taking it in a new direction that is distinct in terms of like tone and world from the Rocky movies. Yeah. And it feels like because it's so Michael B. Jordan, like it very Mm. much is like a in conversation with how the Rocky movies are so Stallone that it's like Mm. now it's like his time to do his franchise with his fun little anime fights, which are just like so dynamic and fun. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) it it definitely might be my favorite sequel like saw x was also my favorite saw movie that has come out in years Mm. i'd I'd kill for amanda young in her little in her little bob but i think creed 3 is a better movie so i'm gonna say it's creed 3 you're gonna say creed 3 i love that um again on a similar note the next category is best action yes my nominees are dungeons and dragons honor among thieves John Wick Chapter 4, The Killer, Mm. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Mm. and Nimona. Yes. What a category. Well, some for everyone. Yeah. As stated, I was, I am, I have like furious, mad energy. I'm very angry about Mission Impossible. I'm not very invested in Mission Impossible. I don't, I don't really think any of those movies are like so great but um i I think they're all good but it's like you know they hold themselves back in a way that i don't always love um yes but in terms of like the quality of the action sequences i just think of like and how it is as an action movie i think of like the the fiat chase scene and yeah you know some of those one-on-one fights and the the, the obviously the big jump that <laughs> that he has to do, um, yeah. and the the vertical train sequences was really cool. Like I I think it, it it stands out as a as great action. Yeah, I think yeah, it's one of those movies where it's well made 
and I respect it for that. A lot of my anger is about specifically like franchise things because it's a franchise that I like love. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite favorite action franchises, and I think they fucking screwed over the characters and screwed over everything that makes them interesting and unique. Like the Mission Impossible movies are cool because they're just every gay day people. Like they're not like superheroes or anything. It's just like you know nothing about their personal lives. It's just like this is their job and they're here to do their mm-hmm. job really well. Like it plays into that like that thing that Ben Affleck gets that we just want to see Matt Damon be really good at a job and like that's why movies like Air or like Ford v Ferrari work because it's just like it's just Matt Damon being good at a job. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Mission Impossible movies are that, but for spies. Like, you don't have, like, the angsty backstory and the James Bond. What, and it's, like, this movie was, like, shot itself in the foot by trying to be more like a conventional spy movie. I feel and then that, also, yeah. like, fridged its one female character to replace her with a new female character that we did just met, which is so stupid. And, like, the whole <laughs> energy of the movie was cut short by that. And yeah, I don't know. There's I, that, yeah. the, the, the trade-off did feel very weird. <laughs> It's like, oh, Tom Cruise can only have one woman at a time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. the team's allowed to have more than one woman, people. Yeah. I mean, you get, you get other women in the movie that, that uh, get some good scenes, but it's yeah. true that, like, there's that that weird switch over. <laughs> I do think Kaylee Atwell is really good and has really good chemistry yeah. with Tom Cruise in this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's a far from perfect movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Dungeons and Dragons, no, there's very close to perfect movies. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons is really good. Um, and has, again, just some great, like, in-camera action stuff and, like, practical effects and all, all, all these great things that are so hard to find in, yes. in action nowadays. Dungeons and Dragons was so refreshing and so authentic and, like, sincere. Like, when I go into action movies these days, the number one thing I'm looking for is sincerity. And we've talked about mm. this a lot. We talked about this a lot last year with Top Gun. Um, was that last year? Yeah. Time's flying by. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing that impressed me the most about Dungeons & Dragons is how, without ever showing someone rolling a die, you can feel the dice rolls. Like, you can feel yeah. the D&D elements without it ever being so contrived as like, oh, let's flash out and see the people playing the characters like they do in the Lego movie. It's like, no, we're just going to really expertly bake it into the pacing of the script and the pacing of how we do it. And that blew me away. Yeah, really elegantly done. And it's... I I feel like that is is all I have to say about it, is that it's like... It's sort of a mild kind of movie to me, but it's just done Mm -hmm. in the most delicate and thoughtful way that that yeah. you know makes it makes it stand out so much yeah um and for the rest of these that i have on here nimona has some really really great action there were a lot of good like animated action movies today but i think nimona stands out to me mm-hmm. um this uh, this year um the killer is a real good movie <laughs> and a real fun yep. time yep. um with some with some really good action and, and some very memorable action sequences, I think in terms of in terms of uh, the action category, my winner is going to be John Wick Chapter Four. Yeah. Uh, but you know, on another day, I might say the killer. Yeah, John Wick definitely him? had the most action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pound for pound, John Wick packed it in. 
Yeah, and I've always felt that across that franchise, there's just a yeah. really good like choreography and 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 flow to the action. Oh yeah. Next category: scariest movie. Ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is where you'll shine. <laughs> many, many directions I can take that prompt. Yeah, there are things I think about like. I, I meant for this to be like the horror category, yeah. but like with a little more specific judgment. But there were times where I was thinking, like you know, Priscilla is a pretty scary movie. <laughs> like like yeah. there's something, something's across my mind like that. But my nominees are Knock at the Cabin, Evil Dead Rise, No One Will Save You, Perpetrator, and Skinnerink. Hmm. Hmm. I, I I think I think Knock at the Cabin was a little bit the loose tooth here. There was, it was sort of the last one that I brought into it, but it did. It was kind of one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it is not not the scariest Shyamalan movie, definitely, but it it, it, it is a horror movie and it is a great movie. <laughs> so that that's yeah. the one that's just kind of on there for that. The rest of these I think are very scary in their own way. Although No One Will Save You is. I don't know. It, it is. There's some. I guess Five Nights at Freddy's was kind of like this too, where it's like these horror movies where when you get down to the actual premise, it's like not really scary. Like like the yeah. monster turns out not to be a monster, and then it turns into this more dramatic thing. Um, but yeah, it isn't in, in many ways a scary movie. Perpetrator, I guess, is another one that's just like a really well made horror movie, but it does have some of those great like very artistic kind of shots and things that um i always like to see in a horror movie and skin yeah. rink um I, I i didn't love it at first i think it is longer than it needs to be but <laughs> uh over the course of the year as i looked back on it i just really respected it as a phenomenon and as kind of yeah. an experimental film that broke through in this crazy way yeah horror has always been a franchise or not a franchise been a genre where the the strange and the obscure can break through so many people get started in horror simply because it is the one where you can make it with no money and no big names and all kinds of stuff totally this year was an interesting one for horror i don't Mm. i didn't see a lot of the like really big ones like i didn't see the new exorcist or anything because i was just like i don't yeah (laughs) you probably don't Uh, have to (laughs) no i was like i'm good um but I loved Saw X, and Saw X made me nauseous, and it was so, like, both Saw X and Evil Dead Rise actually were, like, two of the movies that I've gotten the closest to, like, genuinely retching in a theater, and I mad respect both of those for that, for different reasons, like, and they're both franchises that I always associate with sort of that, that, like, really visceral, like, literal gut-wrenching kind of horror, where it's like, there is... There are things happening that my body can't process. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saw X just so impressed me as a movie that is made... It's like the 10th movie in this franchise that's been going on for so long. And it managed to feel really fresh, but also feel really connected to the rest of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I give it mad respect. Like, Evil Dead Rise, I'm a big Evil Dead fan, and I loved it a lot when I saw it. It sort of hasn't stuck with me and there's things that it did that i liked like i kind of liked how it like updated the reading of the book to like records like that was cool mm-hmm. and it had some fun like very like edgar wright-esque setups and payoffs that was fun but my favorite horror movie of the year and the one that probably freaked me out the most was uh all of us strangers 
Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely. I, li- I just went to see it, and I was really excited when I realized that it came out last year so I could talk about it, because it's mm-hmm. bonkers. I went and saw it with a friend, and as we were leaving the theater, we passed, like, five different other groups of people trying to debrief the movie, and me and my friend were, like, desperately trying to debrief the movie. It is so, like, dense with thoughts, and it doesn't spoon-feed anything to the audience. So, like, by the time you're leaving, your brain feels like it's, like, melted out of your ears. On top of, like, the bits in the movie that are genuinely really scary. And then it's just, like, it's a horror movie that is so tied into the like experience of being gay and of being queer especially like andrew scott's character growing up in the 80s and like the fear that that has and that's baked into the movie Mm. and it's like it's a horror movie that you cannot escape or take away from the queerness of it which i love we do not get enough of that because like horror has always been like the purview of queer people have always been making great horror movies but often it's like buried under metaphor or it's like queer people being like actually this movie that wasn't supposed to be queer i'm just gonna make it queer because i feel like it like evil dead and stuff and this was just such a good example of like a it baked into the content in every element of the movie queer horror movie and it was also really really freaky (laughs) wow so it was kind of amazing i highly recommend i gotta i gotta check it out i hadn't um thought of it that way so, so that's a that's a perspective i really got to take in um i i didn't know it i went in and i just thought it was going to be like a traumatic romance and mm-hmm. then about halfway through i was like oh this is a horror movie mm. and it mm, it's so it, it deals with ghosts and it's so delicious mm, so okay good. i gotta see it um my winner out of these is going to be Skin and Marink. They, you know, I think these are all good as horror movies, but uh, yeah. again, Skin and Marink, I just like respect as an artifact so much. Yeah. And the next category is funniest movie. Hmm. This is a, a pretty good year for comedies, but uh, yeah. my nominees are Barbie, Bo is Afraid, Bottoms, Dicks the Musical, and Theater Camp. I was literally, as soon as you brought up comedy, I was like, one of my favorite movies of the whole year is Theater Camp. Like, Theater Camp, I adore. And I, the two movies that I still haven't seen that are, like, eating away at me that I haven't seen them are Bottoms and Blackberry. So, like, Mm. I'm sure once I see them, they will definitely be in this mix. But as of right now, Theater Camp is probably the most I've laughed in a theater in a while. Yeah, these were all really good times in the theater for me. Um... I think a theater camp was definitely one of those ones where it was like, yeah, and it was one that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did, but and also like, yeah, really really funny movie with the, with a very like accessible but specific sense of humor, you know. Yes, yes. As for the rest of these, Bo is Afraid is very funny, and uh, you have to be on its wavelength to to find a lot of the humor, but it's like. You could watch it one time and be like, these parts were funny, these parts were weird, and then watch it again and have the complete opposite uh, oh. uh, reaction. These parts were scary, etc. Um, yeah. Barbie is really, really funny. So, yes. Some really great bits in, in that movie. Some of, the, some of the best bits on film in a while. Um, <laughs> but Bottoms is also really funny. <laughs> and... Dicks the musical I really loved and I think is one of the year's most underrated movies um and just really laugh out loud funny that one too so this is not an easy one for me 
Yeah. I think my favorite film on this list is probably Bo, but since Bo is like kind of its own weird thing, I'm going to give this to... I'm going to give it to Dix. Nice. I love Dix. Yeah. I'm excited that that one is easily streamable. Mm-hmm. Because I completely missed it in theaters. And now, like, Bottoms is only streaming on, like, MGM Plus. Like, something <laughs> yeah. else weird. Like, it... And it's not out on DVD, and I don't... I hope it'll get a DVD release. Because mm-hmm. I really... It, it really should. Yeah. Like, it, it was enough of a hit that it should... As, like, a cult hit, it needs to have a physical release so that yeah. I can watch and it. And you know? I feel like, I feel like the, the TikTok kids would be so into, like, having a DVD of... of, yeah. of uh, bottoms yeah but yeah Dix uh, Nathan Lane is amazing Megan Mullally is amazing um, the sewer boys are amazing the songs are really funny the trailers didn't do it justice that's that's yeah. the funniest movie here to me nice best animated picture mm. good contenders this year yeah this was a really strong year for animation my nominees are the boy and the heron Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, Nimona, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. I didn't realize that the new Chicken Run was actually out. I haven't had Netflix for ages, so like I'm out of the (laughs) loop with all of Netflix originals. I'm excited that you liked it, though, because I was very apprehensive Mm -hmm. because of how much I loved Chicken Run as a kid. I was like, I don't don't know. It's definitely not on par with the first. It's much um, glossier, but... Mm -hmm. It has, I think it expands on the sort of Marxist themes of the first chicken run. In a, okay, in a I love that. Very interesting way. Yeah. And like, I, I trust Ardman to give me something that won't like completely let me down. Especially because Ardman's mm-hmm. been working with Netflix on Shaun the Sheep for ages, and it's still really held up. In terms of the rest of these, uh, we've already talked about Nimona, which is a really good movie. Um, mm-hmm. Exceeded my expectations, really. Uh, the, the Boy and the Heron is up there in terms of Miyazaki movies for me. It's uh, a really special one with some really some really potent themes, and the Wada Wada are just the best. Across the Spider Verse, everyone thinks I hate it, uh, but I only hate <laughs> two fifths of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if the whole movie was like the first ten minutes, it would be one of the greatest of all time but yeah my big problem with the new spider-verse is that it was so long Mm. and it didn't i don't know i went and saw it with um someone who was like oh i didn't feel the length at all and i was like really i felt felt, it was getting sweaty by the end yeah i think it i think it picks up at the end in a way that kind of makes you makes you feel like it wasn't that long but if you think about how much happens in the rest of the movie, it, there's like five scenes. It's it, it, there's very little going on, and it keeps yeah. it keeps on chucking. It, for a movie that is so visually dense, it doesn't let itself be narratively compact in any way. I was about to say something really pretentious, like it's more of a Jacques Tati than a than a <laughs> you know like screwball comedy, but like yeah, not to do no, that. That's... I, I... <laughs> I went to watched Jackass for the first time very like last week I saw I'd never seen any of them when I watched it and I turned to my friend afterwards and said this is going to sound pretentious as hell but that makes me think about John Waters mm. ooh I love mm. I have I have so many thoughts I had never seen them and I've seen all of them and, or actually I haven't watched the fourth one yet but that's for another day 
<laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. And the Ninja Turtles movie is really good. Uh, I love better it. than the Spider Verse, in my opinion. Um, really, Teenage really Ninja great. Turtles, the Mutant Mayhem, like connected so deeply with my childhood self. It felt like mm-hmm. a kids movie made for children. Mm. In a way that, like, like I've been saying for years that Pixar should just be given the rights to make like an R-rated adult drama because that's all that they want to make. Clearly, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's been years since Pixar made a movie that felt like it was actually accessible for children. Mm-hmm. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like actually like this is a movie for kids. It's gross. It's got weird comedy. Like it is for the children, and the children will enjoy it. There's a kid sitting in front of me in the theater who like could not stop laughing. And I was like, this is, this is what, this is, this feels good. This feels healing. And honestly, like, to me, it feels like the first movie to capture, like, Gen Z characters. Yes. A, you know, like, young Gen Z characters in, a, in an accurate way. Is very, like, of the moment. But in a way mm-hmm. that feels like it's talking to the audience instead of, like, I don't know, like, Renfield is very of the moment. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's going to become this, like, artifact. It's what I point to when I want to, like, illustrate how much therapy speak has, like, mm-hmm. infiltrated culture. Is like, mm-hmm. Renfield as a movie could not have been made at any other time other than, like, right now. That's interesting. The first thing yeah. I think of is everything everywhere all at once, but... That's true. That, too. There's, there's a lot there's, for Renfield, just... yeah. Renfield didn't have enough else going for it. Like, mm-hmm. Nick Cage is carrying the entire movie on his back. And I love Nicholas Holt. But, like, Nick Cage and the, uh, it's prescription. I have a prescription for this gag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. That was a really good gag. Um, I think this one's gonna go to The Boy and the Heron, though. Valid. There's, there's a lot of these, like, Nimona and Mutant Mayhem, where, like... I want to promote them. I like, like yeah. there's, they're, they, they're, they exceeded my expectations to such a degree, I guess, even though I thought they were yeah. going to be good. But yeah, Boy and the Heron, uh, is, is the best movie out of these. <laughs> yeah. Best international feature. Okay. My nominees are Anatomy of a Fall from France, Blackberry from Canada, The Boy and the Heron from Japan, Limencita from Italy, and Rebel from Belgium. I can't say that I've seen any of those. Okay. I I always fall flat in the international category, and I always feel bad about it, but it's just, they don't come as close to me in the theaters, and so I just don't make it to very many of them. Out of these, though, I mean, Rebel is one that I saw at the Philly Film Festival last year, um, but... I was, I, I mean, it won the award at the Philly Film Festival, and I, I, I did vote for it, but um, it, it's, yeah, a really, really effective, like, drama with intense action that's also kind of a musical, and, you know, I, it, it, it's, it, it's a really stirring one and a really underrated one, I think. Um, I already gave one to Boy and the Heron. Anatomy of a Fall is great. Limencita, uh I also think there should be more talk about Penelope Cruz is, is the greatest living actress. Um, it, it In a way, it's not the spirit of this category to give it to Canada, but <laughs> <laughs> I do think Blackberry is my favorite movie on here. So so that's going to take it for me. I'm going to say that's valid. <laughs> that's, that's score one for Canada. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, if you if you didn't see any international movies, yeah, I didn't, then we I, can move on. I think 
I'm literally trying to think, like, was Gran Turismo a great British, like a, not a great, whatever. Was it an English release? I don't think so. It was not. Oh, actually, I'm looking at my list of things I saw, and Godzilla Minus One is amazing. Okay. Okay. Godzilla Minus One, 100%. Everyone should go see it. It's amazing. It's still in theaters. Blew my mind. I went in, like, all I had been hearing about it was that it was really good, and then I went to see it. And it still shocked me with how good it was. And did you see it? I did. Yeah. I One of the best action movies in terms of, like, movie, all-around movie for me this year. Because, mm-hmm. like, while the effects and the action weren't the greatest, it was so sincere and had such good characters. And, like, I left the theater talking about both Top Gun Maverick... And she, w- I was. There's like some other touchstone that I was talking about as I was leaving the theater, where I was like, "This is, this is where I want to see big budget blockbusters going." Totally. Way of Water. Probably, yeah. It was probably like Avatar, James Cameron. Like, yeah, they know how. Like a man who knows how to make movies that are like familial dramas within the setting of like literally a kaiju film. I, what I've been saying about Godzilla Minus One is that in all ways it is uh, this year's Top Cut Maverick. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I like a lot about it. I think it's funny how it kind of turns into Oppenheimer in the middle. Um, <laughs> yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's a fun one. I think uh, it, it, it leans heavy into like that 80s action kind of style in the same way that, uh, in the same way that Maverick does in a sense. And it just, you know, it, it hits all the right notes for that genre. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it it wasn't afraid to be melodramatic, but it took itself seriously within its own, like, weird movie logic, which is, that's one, that's when I ever talk about sincerity, and, like, that's what I'm talking about, is that it's, like, it'll be goofy, but we will 100% commit to the goofiness. Like, the, the, the cast of characters, the, like, band of misfits are, like, all treated so seriously, even though it's, like... Like, the boat captain is, like, such a weird character. Of, and, yeah. like, the scientist is so goofy. Just a delightful time. A delightful film. Next category is cinematography. And mm. I had meant to look up the pronunciations of these cinematographers' names. So my apologies to them. Um, the nominees are uh, Alan Collardi for Rye Lane, Eric Messerschmidt for The Killer and Ferrari, Artur mm. Tor for Pacifiction, Robert Yeaman for Asteroid City, and Harrison Barlicus for A Haunting in Venice. Hmm. I'm intrigued by this list of category by this list of nominees. I would have expected like one of the like big best pictures thrown in there, like Killers of the Flower Moon or something. Yeah, I mean Flower Moon Flower Moon and Barbie had the same cinematographer and mm, I was, I didn't realize he, was that. he was gonna be uh <laughs> kind of a double nominee on here and then i thought about both those and flower moon definitely has great cinematography but i was like i I don't think i would ever give that movie a best cinematography of the year award yeah um oppenheimer really maybe should be on here it's the one that probably came the closest but um yeah i mean just going through the list uh rye lane is a is a weirdly gorgeous you know Art, a pop arty rom-com that has all these crazy fisheye lens things going on uh it's very fun um 
in a lot of ways, this is the most cinematography category. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's how I always get end up being with editing. I'm always like, the one yeah. with the most editing, where it didn't feel like overbearing with how much editing it was, you know? Because sometimes it, it mm-hmm. reaches a point where it's like, oh, you've put too much effort in, and I, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's getting sweaty. Yeah. Uh, Eric Messerschmidt with The Killer and Ferrari, probably the only sort of subtle one on, on this list, but I think mm. accomplishing both of those, which are, are so in the pocket for the respective auteur's styles, David Fincher yeah. and Michael Mann, um, I think... Yeah, they're both they're both gorgeous movies in their own way, and they both are are so different in their in their style that I feel like pointing that out. Um, Pacifiction, I, I slow cinema is hard for me, <laughs> but it's uh, a very painterly and and gorgeous uh, movie about uh, colonization that uh, you know I couldn't really ignore. Asteroid City, you know, it, it, it's Wes Anderson style, but there there's a unique beauty to it it you know all of his movies have their kind of painterly elements to them too yeah. i think asteroid city has a very unique uh, uh country 50s look that's just like smear of of orange on it that i think really sets it apart and a hunting in venice i i, I didn't I don't really know what happened there to make it look so good. Because the other yeah. ones, like, the, the the thing I'd complain about the most with them is that they look like shit. Um, yeah. A Haunting in Venice has this weirdly grand, like, Orson Welles-esque sense of scale, you know, yeah. all these crazy angles and lights and shadows. Like, I think Haunting in Venice maybe wins it for me, because I, I don't... <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking about how good that movie looks. I feel like Kenneth Branagh wants to be Orson Welles, and this is mm. maybe the first time that he actually pulled something off adjacent hey, to it. Little bit, yeah. Yeah. My next category, before we get into best song, okay, is best use of an existing song. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there were just so many. This is a special one, but there were just so many good ones this year that I had to include it. Mm-hmm. I have Big Pimpin in Anatomy of a Fall, Man Eater in No Hard Feelings. Push mm. in Barbie, Titanium in Megan, and Tom Sawyer in The Iron Claw. Oh my god, I'm so glad we got to Megan. The, when, she, when she breaks into Titanium, never, uh, ever, ever gets old. That, ever. that had me, I was cackling in the theater for that moment. Ugh, it hits, it's, ugh. the only time I've felt anywhere near that was when I went to see Moulin Rouge on Broadway, and she breaks mm-hmm. into Firework by Katy Perry, and it's like this ballad. And that moment of just like, wait, what's happened? Like, huh? Yeah, yeah. And you, you like can't contain how happy it makes me. But like, this is what is happening in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, is a contender for the funniest scene in any movie this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me of there's a scene in uh, Killing Give a Sacred Deer where the, where where one of the girls starts singing um, "Burned" by Ellie Goulding, and this is similar vibes, but like. The fact that it's Megan and it's played so yeah. straight and it's in yeah. like this yeah. kind of it's, kind it's, of <laughs> kind they like auto tune it just right so that <laughs> yeah. it really like drives it home. <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> God, I God, I loved Megan. We didn't bring it up during Best Horror, but Megan was is so good. 
like I saw it twice in theaters kind of on accident because the second time I was trying to see something else and it was just Megan was the only thing with the screening time that lined up and so I said fine I'll see Megan again and it's just like a really tight script that really gets off like it does exactly what it wants to do in the time that it has and it is so smart of a film and it's so goofy and yeah. great and like the only thing I would like from it is if it was more gory like it was a full hard R action movie like not action horror movie but I respect that it's like a PG-13 horror movie. We got to get a couple of those every year, you know, for the teens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the teens loved, love Megan. Let, let's get, yeah. let's don't yeah. get it twisted. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm almost, I'm a little regretting not putting it in the funniest movie category because, because <laughs> just thinking about that one gag and there are other good gags in the movie, but that one yeah. alone is sort of like, man, that's a funny movie. <laughs> um <laughs> But going over the rest of these, the man-eater scene in No Hard Feelings is so good in that it's just, like, this weird, like, quietly devastating moment in a mm-hmm. in a very funny rom-com. Um, that's the moment, like, Jennifer Lawrence is really, like, carrying the whole movie, but then that's the moment where you're like, oh, yeah, she's, like, one of our great actresses, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom Sawyer in The Iron Claw is such a great moment. Uh, you hear it kind of muffled as from upstairs as Jeremy Allen White is working out, and then it just smash cuts to them entering the ring to it, and it, 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 it really packs a punch. I love that. Um, Big Pimpin' in Anatomy of a Fall, that's just like the, just the instrumental playing, like, so loud, uh, like, like, as, as this, uh, alleged murder is, go- is going on, it's like, a really good use of a of a song there but i was talking about how titanium is one of the funniest scenes of the year push in barbie is mm-hmm. such a good gag <laughs> like, <laughs> one of the funniest things and you know we said the bar in the barbenheimer episode how like uh you know you can tell this was written by two people who were like locked up together during covid and driving each other insane <laughs> yep so yeah, Push takes it for me. It's a solid moment. Mm-hmm. I think the way that theater camp... And like maybe this is a cop-out. Because every time there's like a thing about theater making fun of theater, mm-hmm. it hits me really hard. But that's because I am a theater kid, you know? Mm-hmm. But the when... I can't remember any of the characters' names, but the, the son is trying to like get everyone's attention and no one's paying attention. And then... Again, I'm blanking on everyone's name, but he just steps up and just starts singing Oklahoma. And like that is how the kids pay attention got yeah. me so hard <laughs> i almost nominated the um the use of the post malone song in in the camp because i think that my my friend my, we came out of that movie and i was i already like that song better now but we yeah. came out of the movie and my friend was like should i get into post malone <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah all of us strangers also really heavily used like the music of the 80s to tie into the sort of like haunting ghost storiness of it mm. and it was it was i don't want to say it was heavy-handed because it was definitely like i was feeling it i was like oh okay this is part packing into this character's trauma that's why he's listening to this 80s song over and over again but it worked really well and it was like a it was a selection of songs that was like very dated but didn't like talk about over the like hitting you on the head with it is the 80s like air tried so hard to be like mm-hmm. it's the 80s look mm-hmm. at the 80s we included a clip from rhinestone which <laughs> i enjoyed that movie a lot but 
it was like the music in Atomic Blonde. Like, it was almost laughable how much they were trying to be like, look, it's the past. We're capturing an era. And it's like, yeah. you can go for, like, a slightly more obscure song and still do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's doing a similar thing, but another one that, that nearly made the list was in Maestro. There's a, a scene near the end where the older, widowed uh, Leonard Bernstein is, like, dancing in the club with his students and Shout uh, by Tears for Fears is playing. And, um, that, th- there's something really, again, it's one where it just sounds so loud in the theater <laughs> and it's yeah. just like so good at evoking something. I heard that in an early cut that was like the last scene in the movie. And I, oh, I, I, I so wish that was still the case because, because it, it, it's, it, it really hits you hard. Yeah. Well, something about Tears for Fears always hits. Like it always unlocks like something in, in my chest. It's like Vienna yeah. and Billy Joel. Every time it comes on, it's just like it unlocks something really specific. So the next category is, and we're going to try to pick up the pace for some of these. Yeah. Yep. The, yep. the next category is Best Original Song. And my okay. nominees are A Hatful of Dreams from Wonka, Dear Alien Who Art in Heaven from Asteroid City, Evening Mirror from The Sweet East, Out Alpha the Alpha by Megan Thee Stallion from Dix, and What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish from Barbie. Nice. The music from Barbie is one of the highlights for me. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, great, great I have soundtrack. mixed a complicated feelings about Barbie, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we will get into. Um, but the it, hits, it had some of the strongest musical numbers I've seen in a movie in a long time. Like, it genuinely yeah. felt like I was seeing a movie musical. Yeah. One of the complaints that, that, that me and Sam had in our, in our Barbenheimer episode was we were like, it should have just been a musical. Yeah, those were the best parts of the movie for me, and they were done so well. Yeah, but yeah, out of the rest of these, um, out Alpha the Alpha was probably the one that I personally listened to the most. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 Megan doing a musical theater thing in a way that I think she is well equipped for and really enjoys, but doesn't get to do that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a really funny song, a really like exaggerated version of like her character. Evening Mirror from the beginning of the Sweet East, uh, just a nice little song that Talia Ryder like sings in in the movie for the first like three minutes. Um, what was I made for? Billy Eilish and Barbie. Uh, there there were a lot of standout things from that. If I could nominate the Push cover, I probably would have. But uh, <laughs> I just can't. Is obviously a good song and Dance the Night. All all these songs are good, but but that Billie Eilish song is a kind of song that almost never works for me, and it, yeah. it, it she pulls it off in such a delicate way because I think she relates to Barbie in a way that not everyone can. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A Hatful of Dreams from Wonka is, uh, there are a lot of great songs in Wonka too, but uh, A Hatful of Dreams was again the one that I was like streaming and <laughs> listening to yeah. after the movie. Um, I still haven't, I haven't seen Wonka, but every time it comes up, I just hear, we're making chocolate, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, but I was really pissed off when Dear Alien from Asteroid City didn't get an oscar nomination um you know they they always love to disrespect wes even though he's probably going to mm-hmm. win this year for for a short film but um dear alien is such a fun song so well integrated into the movie so funny and also has these it, it's it's a classic distillation of wes anderson because it's like classical and funny but it's it's also like getting into some of these weird philosophical 
crossroads yeah. of the movie with like belief and religion and, and and grief and all these things um so yeah maybe i give this to dear alien i yeah i'm Do giving I... it to dear alien fuck the oscars yeah they should have given it to the weekend for his song from uh 50 shades mm-hmm. well that was a, i've been that saying that for hit, years yeah. the next category is best score Ooh, okay. and i think i think i got it worse than the oscars so i'm, I'm happy about <laughs> that uh my nominees are jerskin fendrick's poor things laura cartman american fiction desmond murray they clone tyrone mm. trent Reznor and atticus ross ninja turtles mutant mayhem yeah leo Berenberg and charlie xcx bottoms yeah the one that i was waiting for this category so i could bring up how much i love the trent Reznor score on the yeah. Ninja Turtles. i yeah. forgot he did it and then like halfway through i was like damn this music is like really good like i love this score and then i remembered and i was like yeah damn he hit it out of the park it he, he really it, did it, and, it you know, slaps his his scores are always good but but yeah this was this was something that like reminds you why he's he's the best you know yes is, yes i was like dancing on my way out of the theater <laughs> it was yeah. it, it really hit hard and it like it ties in well with the like '90s sort of gr- the '90ness of it, '90sness of it, but then also like the like kind of gross sliminess of it. Like it feels like a perfect match made in heaven to be like, and Trent Reznor will do the score for this movie. Yeah, really adds to the tone of it. Poor Things has a very unique score and a very like like it's part of just this totally this like Edward Scissorhands world that that uh that lanthimos creates in in the movie and the score is such a big part of that um Mm -hmm. people were mad that american fiction got the oscar nom for score and you know people were mad that boy in the heron didn't uh but personally if a movie has a jazz score i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna be shouting it out so yeah Yeah, that's where american fiction and they clone tyrone come in there although they clone tyrone kind of does this like funk r&b thing with it um it's it's kind of between Ninja Turtles and Bottoms for me though. Like the Bottoms yeah. score is kind of grungy in the same way that 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 the Mutant Mayhem score is, but so unique. And then Charlie's vocals add so much to it. Um, feels you know of the time in the same way mm-hmm. that the movie does. Um, so yeah, it's tough between Ninja Turtles and Bottoms actually. I think I'm gonna be thinking about that Ninja Turtle score for a long time. I think that's gonna take it for me. Although you know. I'm going to change my mind because I've definitely given Trent Reznor one of these before, and it's like, let me <laughs> let me give Charlie XCX a score win. You yeah. Know? yeah, 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 yeah. The movie where the music disappointed me the most is probably Creed Three because mm. the Rocky, the music to the Rocky movies is half of why they are so good. Mm-hmm. Like the original score, I listen to the Rocky Two score all the time, all the time. It's just it's slamming the Rocky Three score slam it and the like creed's theme which is climbing higher no yeah like creed's theme is solid and it's definitely like it's it holds its own against rocky's theme but creed 3 didn't have any of those like moments it didn't have a score that i like wanted to put on yeah i just i put on the rocky score when i got back in the car and as a franchise that it's tied into the music i really would have wished it was a stronger score i totally get that but i feel like one of the ways that creed 3 makes creed its own thing is through how heavily it uses the like soundtrack the original soundtrack that j cole and and company did yeah um 
So, so, so I sort of respect that as like taking it in a new direction. And I also think that yeah. like with with the montage where where it's the J Cole rapping for the for the whole for the whole thing. Um, yeah. In my theater, there was applause at the end of that. Like, like, oh, I like love they that. were really hyped for that. Um, and I think even though it's very different from the montage music we expect from Rocky, uh, yeah. I think it really hypes up a crowd in a in a similar way. So yeah. I, I I respect the soundtrack of Creed Three. I'd agree that the the score doesn't do much. Yeah, I totally forgot. One of my favorite scores was Air. Okay, I really loved the way that they incorporated the squeak of sneakers on mm. basketball court into the score. That is clever. I like that. I adored it. It was like like instead of like a snare or like a hi hat, it's a squeak. Wow. And it took me a minute to like recognize that that's what was happening and it kind of blew me away. And I was it was one of my favorite mo- parts of that movie. So I, yeah, I had I had to give that a shout out. I had to I mm, love it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I that, that that's really cool, yeah. <laughs> um so first original screenplay. Yeah. My nominees are Bo is Afraid written by Ari Aster. May December written by Sammy Birch. Asteroid City, written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. Rotting in the Sun, written by Pedro mm. Perano and Sebastian Silva. And They Clone Tyrone, written by Tony Rettenmeyer and Joel Taylor. Mm-hmm. Some very original films here. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. to, to talk about original screenplays. Like, like you know, these are all movies that I, I love for how, like, different they are and how, you know, that unique that like sweet spot they find i think may december is a great like melodrama that touches on really potent themes while still being kind of campy and fun um mm-hmm. rotting in the sun i love just that tense funny you know suicidal <laughs> tone yeah. that it strikes yeah. um Clone tyrone is just a really fun concept uh, i think it you know builds good sci-fi out of like attaching to people's real world anxieties in a way that a lot of the classic yeah. sci-fi does Bo, i just love the the tone that it's on and the, the the way that it powers itself it's just totally different from what anyone else is doing um and i love asteroid city too i i think that's uh again it just ties so many themes together in a way that like makes sense of, of all wes anderson's weird little choices you know yeah yeah does 80 for brady count as adapted or original mm, uh yeah i would say it is um a, an original screenplay i loved 80 for brady mm. i've seen it a couple times now it was really fun in theaters and it keeps being fun every time i rewatch it and like part of that is the editing and the way it manages to make me get excited about a sporting event that I watch live, you know? Mm. Like, I remember that year at the Super Bowl, and every time I watch it, I still end up on the edge of my seat being like, oh my god, the Super Bowl, that I definitely know how it ends. And that's always my thing with sports movies, is if it can make me get that excited about something that I know how it's going to end, that's one of my, like, hallmarks of a really good sports movie. But just, like, the entire concept and construction of 80 for Brady just impressed me so much with how solid it is yeah and how it was unafraid to get really surreal yeah like 80 for brady said that 
one of the like greatest comebacks of Super Bowl history happened because one lesbian was having like hallucinations about Tom Brady. Like <laughs> and it was like it was like, oh, our one of Jane Fonda's characters gonna write like erotica about Gronk. Like it it was unafraid to like push to these really weird places where it was like, oh yeah, Guy Fieri is a main character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and I give it so much respect for that. Especially because it just it ended up pulling it all off in this really solid beginning to end just one-off unit yeah 80 for brady is a really fun movie and it has a very solid core it it yeah. you know moves in a really fun way uh and I, I think that's why people came out of that like oh that was way better than i expected because it just <laughs> yeah has a really solid foundation yeah um in this moment i'm feeling i like the sort of meta stuff that rotting in the sun does a lot and i think that movie has a really good flow to it Asteroid City, again, is just, like, condensing so many ideas to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I love Bo, uh, but I don't know if screenplay is the one that I give it. I think I'm going to give this to Asteroid City. Nice. Adapted screenplay. Okay. The nominees are Poor Things, written by Tony McNamara. Blackberry, written by Matt Johnson and Matthew Miller. Oppenheimer, written by Christopher Nolan. Killers of the Flower Moon, written by Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese. And The Killer written by andrew kevin walker can i give a shout out to my least favorite like the worst adapt- adapted screenplay okay it's definitely red white and royal blue okay um i was th- we could do a whole episode on red white and royal blue i feel like we very well may everyone that i talked to i literally was telling a friend about it and she's like everyone i know hated it for different reasons like none mm. of them have given me the same reason why they didn't like this movie mm. and i really liked the book and, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's like a fun rom-com, whatever. Like, it's not the densest piece of literature. Totally. But the movie took all the wrong parts out of the book for me. Like, it completely, like, evaporated the main character by just, like, eliminating any of the things that made him interesting or appealing to me and just focusing on, like, the really surface-level stuff. I don't know. It it felt like it should have been a really, really easy adaptation to do because rom-com is, like, such a formulaic and, like, solid genre that everyone, like, understands on some level. And it just completely fumbled the bag. And it made me angry. And it was one of... like the Though, okay, Stephen Fry saying homosexual got a yeah. really good laugh out of me. Like, that was a good laugh. Totally. My, I was just feeling that whole scene, like... When they see the crowd of people outside, I was hoping that was going to go in a way different direction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They eliminated so much of, like, the history that I feel like makes the book work. Mm. That, like, the two characters the entire book are talking about and very aware of the history behind them. Like, it's all about the generations of, like, closeted monarchs who've come before them. Or it's all about, like, the weird intricacies of like the unwritten parts of American history and like the white house as a building is like a main character basically. Right. And all of that was eliminated and just like totally to the story's detriment. Yeah. I mean, that does sound more interesting. <laughs> than was the movie. Yeah. I recommend the book. It's really fun. If you're looking for something light, it's still probably my favorite Casey McQuiston novel. All right. Well, which is probably lame of me to say, but whatever. It's I think, the truth. I think that endorsement. Yeah. Um, some great works of adaptation here. Yeah. Um, Oppenheimer condensing a 900 page book <laughs> in such a, in such a remarkable way. Um, yeah. it, 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 it just pulled off spectacularly. The, the way that Killers of the Flower Moon changes the perspective from the book is mm-hmm. really powerful. The killer 
takes the the killer does something that a lot of Fincher's best movies do, which it takes a source material and turns it into a Fincher movie. You know, yeah, like like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it becomes this trenchant insight into like a type of guy that our culture fosters in the same way that like Fight Club and the Social Network do. Um, yeah, Blackberry is a great great script, and this is obviously about what the best script is. And Poor Things is is a really great script too. I think. I think, again, for just being such a staggering work to adapt, I do have to give this one to Oppenheimer. Valid. I want to give another shout-out to Dungeons & Dragons for the mm-hmm. same reason why I kind of gave it a shout-out earlier, is, like, they, part of it's a script and part of it's the way it was filmed, but the fact that it didn't, like, fall back on the, like, oh, let's go back out and see the character. Like, it wasn't afraid... It, or, I guess what I'm saying is that it stayed in narrative the entire time like it's the yeah. story of the game there there was like a 70 percent chance that that isn't how that movie would go if you mm-hmm. gave it to like any screenwriter they'd be like oh let's make it about the people outside of the game and i i think it works because it stays so within the world of dungeons and dragons yeah yeah i totally go for that and we have 10 more categories to go so for the listeners who've been we're sitting, we're doing for, okay. For the listeners who've been sitting for a while, you can get up and stretch right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go for a walk. Yeah, yeah. Chill out for a bit. Uh, just, just get get yourself a cappuccino and uh, stretch your legs a little. <laughs> Do a sudoku. Lay down on your Casper mattress. Yes, <laughs> that would be a good time to bring it in. Um, <laughs> th- the next category is best cameo, and okay. It's one that, like, every year I'm like, maybe I'm going to can this this time. I don't really know, like, what it means to be the best cameo. And then I'm always like, no, yeah. but these are the best cameos. <laughs> <laughs> My nominees are Nicholas Braun in Dream Scenario, Bradley Cooper in Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> genuinely i i've been sitting here thinking about like what is i was trying to think like what are the cameos this year that really like hit me mm-hmm. i forgot about how good that yeah so unprepared completely took me out of the movie but like in a way that i was like i don't care i don't care that you took me out of this movie <laughs> that's that's what you want from a good cameo man just like yeah comes out of nowhere you don't expect it it's the whole <laughs> new thing all of a sudden <laughs> yeah my other nominee is gibby haynes in the sweet east uh, Marco Robbie in Asteroid City and Martin Scorsese in Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm. I didn't realize he makes a cameo in that. He does. It's uh, that's a little. That's bit really of, interesting. That's a little bit of a spoiler for you, so I'm not going to talk about it. But okay. uh, it it's good. That I, the fact, even just knowing that that happens, is immediately like unlocking some like thoughts in my brain. Yeah, it's it's a thoughtful moment for sure. So is Margot Robbie in Asteroid City, though. I think that was mm-hmm. one of the most stunning scenes of the year, and it's such a thermostat performance for her to just come in in one scene and blow the doors off like that. Um, yeah. And it's such a juicy scene, the way he says, you're the wife who played my actress. Just yeah. just a gorgeous scene, that one. And uh, Nicholas Braun in Dream Scenario, I'm probably not going to give it to him because I don't want to give him an award, but... It's yeah. really funny when he shows up in Dream Scenario. <laughs> uh, a lot of good cameos in that movie, though. And Gibby Haynes in The Sweet East, that's another movie that has like all kinds of characters showing up, but when he comes in at the end as like, this this monk, this like <laughs> this like 
<laughs> creepy hooded priest figure. Um, it's just a perfect place for him to be and a perfect person to be playing that character. Um, yeah. I do think I give this to... I'm going to give it to Marty. Yeah. Respect. In his own movie, although Margot in Asteroid City is maybe the one I should give it to, but I'm giving it to Marty. I'm now, I'm still laughing at Bradley Cooper in Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Yeah. It, yes, you're so right that like that was for me is like the definition of what I want out of a cameo. Yeah, is like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. But then also like I am enjoying the rest of the movie. It's not like it's not like a Wilhelm scream where I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. like the. The Ryan Reynolds. Anytime Ryan Reynolds has a cameo in anything, I just <laughs> roll my eyes and get mad at it because I'm like, "Why'd you have to, goddamn, do that?" Yeah, totally. Like in um, Hobbs and Shaw, <laughs> Bullet Train. Like, Bullet Train. They just love yeah. to throw him in there and be like, "It's Ryan Reynolds," and I'm like, "I don't give a shit." So dumb. I, I think I understand the thing about Ryan Reynolds more than I used to because I heard him on the. Um, podcast that all the talk show hosts did during the strike and he mm. the way he riffs like just in natural conversation is like he is a very funny person and, yeah. on a certain level uh but yeah. i am tired of him and i don't want to see him in anything ever uh yep yep i am so tired of both of them yeah well he's he's going for something dramatic now and i'm looking forward to that okay i think he's doing I like a see- like a safety brothers movie Okay, I'll see what I'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, I think I think Black Adam bombing just uh, shook him up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I. Ugh. Best ensemble is the next category. Okay, score. The nominees are Asteroid City, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and The Sweet East. Nice. Uh, Sweet East is one that. Um, has a certain uh, dime square uh, stink around it that that makes it uh, it hard for me to totally get on its side. But I did enjoy it a lot. I think it's just a kind of movie they don't really make anymore, and it has some some really funny stuff and some insightful stuff. Although it is kind of above it all about everything, but just such a great you know Simon Rex playing a professor at a liberal arts school who's a closeted Nazi. Um, Talia Ryder in the lead role, Andy Milanakis as like a Pizzagate guy in in the opening <laughs> minutes. Like there's all kinds of great uses of people in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And the rest of these movies are just like obvious, like amazing ensembles. Um, yeah. Off the dome, I think I give this to Killers of the Flower Moon. I yeah. think you know the leads are so are so great, and Lily Gladstone is amazing. But then all the all the native actors um, playing playing the rest of the stage in the movie, and then all the like country singers and you know weird weird cameos that are in it. Like it, it's a really incredible uh, group of actors. Yeah, I think eighty for Brady feels like a cheap one to be like great ensemble. It's like of course it's a great ensemble. It's Jane right. Fonda and like. Um, my brain just shut off, but the four people who were in that movie. <laughs> Sally Field and Lily Tomlin, yeah. Sally Field, um, yeah. Yeah. Lily Tomlin, Rita Moreno. It, yeah. it. I was very happy to see Bob Balaban show up in that movie. <laughs> yes. Who, I'm trying to remember who else is in the poker room scene. Yeah. Because it, it's Billy Porter and Rita Moreno and Guy Fieri. Yeah, I can't remember, but it's a fun, it's a, it's a fun bunch of cameos blanking on the actual name of this actor 
but the man who voiced Remy the Rat from Ratatouille. Patton Oswalt. <laughs> Patton Oswalt. Yeah, that movie, I don't know. It, it was held up by those four women. Totally. Great uh, cast of characters in that. Um, yeah. and, the, and the football people mostly do okay. <laughs> the football people are there and are down to participate. They're down to clown, exactly. Is what matters. Like, Tom Brady is like, is there and is willing to sort of be what the movie needs him to be. And so it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dungeons and Dragons just has like my favorite. Dungeons and Dragons and Godzilla Minus Zero are such good like ragtag team of heroes movies. Totally. Totally great uh, team movies, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next category is Breakout Performer. Mm. These are, some of these are just, it's their first movie. Some of them I just haven't really seen them in anything before. Uh, most mm-hmm. it's their first movie, but the nominees are Dominic Sessa in The Holdovers, Kaylee Spaney in Priscilla, Alyssa Sutherland in Evil Dead Rise, mm. Sabrina Wu in Joyride, and Anaita Walizada in Fremont. Evil Dead Rise is a lot of brand new names. Yeah. People that I have, like, really never been anywhere. And they're all great, but I think Alyssa Sutherland as the mom is just, like... Oh, yeah. Doing amazing stuff in, in that movie. Yeah. And she's been in movies before, but, like, never... <laughs> you, you know, she she totally, like, pops off in that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie that is so central around the possessed characters. Mm-hmm. And that one, I feel like, especially really... I don't know. Like, I love the final girl of the new Evil Dead movie. Mm-hmm. But the... The possessed characters, I feel like, hold... I'm trying to think... It's just, like, Bruce is so central to the the first three movies. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I feel like they compensated for the lack of Bruce with, like, double down, doubling down on getting, like, freaky with it with the possessions. Yeah. Which I dug. Tough. And, like, I want to see Morgan Davies in so many things forever and ever. Mm-hmm. I There's a really interesting article that I read by a friend that sort of went into like how evil dead rise is part of this trend of like, we're going to cast a trans person, but not say anything about it. So like it's ambiguous. Like it's a very, like there's pros and cons to that kind of representation of like, it's cool that you can play whatever role, but also I really wanted this to engage Mm -hmm. with that especially because it's like literally like a body horror gross out horror movie from a franchise that like I associate very heavily with trans people for various reasons um and it's like give give a trans person a really meaty role where being trans isn't the whole thing but like it's also acknowledged I don't know right right it's similar to I mean these kinds of representation talks happen all the time when it's like yeah you know casting a black actor in a in a disney live action movie or something and it's like yeah but you're not going to engage with that (laughs) so So, like it's nice that you did it but (laughs) i wish you would say more it's better than nothing yeah but like when it's so it when it feels like you're just checking off boxes Mm -hmm. i'm gonna get more annoyed with it than if you actually like engaged and like said something and it could be so simple or even just even just not like like Gwen in Spider-Verse having like a flag on her wall is immediately like okay we have confirmation it's part of it it's it's a choice it's a conscious choice mm-hmm. and it's part of the narrative and it's acknowledged 
but like it's not necessarily like everything and it was just like you just throw a trans flag on some character's wall and immediately it's like oh you've you you're saying more with it than just being like we've cast a trans actor and totally. we're gonna be loosey-goosey about the character you know and you hope that it'll be like you you, you hope that it'll just be like the character the like thought was put into what how what, what how is this character's life affected by yes. you know how's their background yeah. different like things like that yeah when you're dealing with a, a movie like evil dead where the point is that the possessed people are like very crass and like digging into your insecurities mm. you're get, you're creating a great opportunity to create a really interesting yeah like trans horror moment and they just didn't i think i think a lot of what it is 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 you know filmmakers i mean i i don't know that they wrote this character to be trans they probably yeah. didn't but uh, i also think that that uh, you know filmmakers feel like that's complicated and i don't know how to how to address it right yeah. which is why it's important to have trans people behind the scenes too. <laughs> yes. as as we extensively discussed during our they slash them episode mm-hmm. the filmmakers are too scared to be canceled to actually have any guts to do anything absolutely so they just do nothing and it's boring as hell absolutely so to quickly go through the recipes because we spent a while yeah. on that um sorry Fremont, kind of a surprising movie, sort of just like a little movie that came out of nowhere, and I think she really nails that. Um, just being the center of it, having that like early 2000s ghost world kind of Daria uh, mm-hmm. attitude, I, I think she pulls it off very well. Um, Sabrina Wu in Joyride is also going to take, uh, because I did gendered act- acting categories, I have a special like non-binary performance award that I do give to Sabrina Wu for Joyride. Um, mm-hmm. I think they... Uh, play a really that that is an example of like a, a trans character in a movie where they're being trans is mm-hmm. not the whole thing but like is is an explicit part of the story yeah yeah because it's like i can't do anything without it sort of being a part of my like it it's if you made me into a character you couldn't ignore it you yeah know? and so i'm sort of like you can't keep kind of ignoring it you got to do something and then dominic sessa and the holdovers and kaylee spaney and priscilla are both just like I mean, Dominic Sessa, especially as someone who they they just pulled out of school, and he he auditioned and he beat out like eight hundred other actors, but he hadn't like been in anything before, and he's just yeah. like, here's a great old school character actor guy plucked out of the ground. Um, yeah, and Kaylee Spaney is so perfect in Priscilla because she can really sell like how young Priscilla was. And, yeah. like, make that part of her character and then sort of grow into, like, see how this middle school girl turns into Priscilla Presley. Um, yeah. Which is really fascinating. So this is a really stacked category, actually. Like, like most of these are, are people I could give it to. Um, I do think Alyssa Sutherland just does so much in Evil Dead Rise that uh, mm-hmm. it stands out as one of the performances of the year to me. Another horror... Again, like, horror is where people often get their start and... Renata Vaca. I had to look it up to make sure I got her name, but she plays Gabriella in Saw X. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like Saw, Saw Saw fans, we are so wed to our little troop of five characters that appear in every single film that when you introduce a new one and we all universally go, we love this one. It's like mm-hmm. you've pulled something off. Totally. And as Gabriella in that movie, she's a Steen Sealer. And it's fabulous, and she totally holds her own against Shawnee Smith. And I hope she keeps getting to do cool horror movies because she could be such a scream queen, and I need it. The other like special award that I that I wanted to give out was 
uh, the honorary People's Joker Award for unreleased movie, which is going to go yep. to the People's Joker. I spent most yeah. of this year thinking that it was going that I was going to be putting it in. So if we get to some of the higher categories and you're like, this feels a little thin, it's because I thought People's Joker was going to be in there. Yeah. Um, but now that it's actually coming out in April, I'm like, I'll, I'll hold it for next year. I did see it in kind of an unfinished form, so like... You know, I was going to ask you specifically because I saw in your in your best movies of the year list. I was like, oh, thank God, People's Joker is getting a release because yeah. I need to see it. It's going to be it's going to open at the IFC in April, and then I think there's hopes that it'll expand from there. Yeah, I do know the uh, Philly Film Society wants to get it, so I'm sure it'll spread around a little. You got to come to Philly sometime. I got. I, I yeah. There's, there's lots of fun stuff. I've been going to this um, Psychotronic Film Society with my friend Cody, who I think you'd really get on with. Uh, it's, it's a fun time. Fantastic. Next time I'm down near New Jersey, I'll just, I got a plan to keep going a little bit. <laughs> just sneak over. <laughs> yeah. So this brings us into the big boy acting categories. Here we go. First off, best supporting actress. My nominees are Penelope Cruz and Ferrari. Patty Lupone in Bo is Afraid, Megan mm. Mullally in Dick's the Musical, Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers, and Catalina Saavedra in Rotting in the Sun. Uh, yeah, just going through this list, again, Penelope Cruz is one of the great living actors, and she puts so much weight into into her character in Ferrari and has such a complex relationship with the lead. Like, she's she, she adds so much depth. She's certainly one of the most intricate female Michael Mann characters, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yes, she, she, you know, she doesn't just play the supporting role. She is, she really like packs a punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty Lupone and Bo might be what I give it to because <laughs> she shows up in the third act and just blows the roof off of it. Um, yeah. Megan Mullally is so good in dicks. Just, just having, I so, love her. having so much fun with it playing a totally insane character who's 90 years old and her vagina fell off like (laughs) i just adore her she's great she's always like i don't know she's got like an edge to her that pulls off stuff that and then it's like oh knowing sort of about her as a person makes her performances that much more special to me Mm, like i don't know her very well but like i've seen a couple interviews with her and nick offerman where i'm like you have something special here you have a talent Mm-hmm. Divine Joy Randolph is likely to win the Oscar, and it's easy to see why because, you know, just a great meaty performance that you know it's hard for black actresses to get in Hollywood. Yeah. Those, those kinds of like real people, but people with such depth. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a it's a special role, and she totally kills it. Um, Catalina Saavedra, Riding in the Sun, is ah, just playing. There's such a delicate thing there where like she has a secret, and she like you know play, playing like the, the the maid the cleaning lady and just playing like the fear and the compulsion and just just you know i think she really does some amazing stuff in that who do i give it to it's tough uh i'm yeah. feeling like penelope i could give any time I've, I've probably given her a bunch of these already um it's between catalina and patty lupone probably uh but i think i give it to catalina Saavedra. Hell yeah. I think Viola Davis did a really good job in Air. Yeah. I, I, I have many thoughts on that movie. I thought it was really interesting. It's like, I'm like morally against most of it, but I think as a film, it's like really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. 
like it did things that I was not expecting at all. Specifically, mm-hmm. just sort of like never, never actually having Michael Jordan do anything except in archival footage. Yeah, was sick. I was so unexpected, or that was so unexpected to me, and added like a whole. It added a real punch that I loved. But Viola Davis is amazing and can do no wrong, and she like yeah. kills it in that movie. <laughs> I I came close to putting her in there for Hunger Games. Also, she is another one of those people like Penelope Cruz, where it's like I know she's going to crush this, and she's yeah. so yeah, fantastic. I she could do anything, and yeah. I'd be like at her feet. Supporting actor, okay. my nominees are Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, Glenn Howerton, Blackberry. Mm. Charles Melton, May, December. Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things. Yeah. I've heard... Most of what I've heard about Poor Things is either, like, Mark Ruffalo is amazing or about how it's, like, the epitome of Born Sexy Yesterday. Like, those are the two things I hear about Poor Things. In a very literal sense, yes. Um, Yes. Mark Ruffalo is incredible in Poor Things. (laughs) Like, he's just on a whole other wavelength, just doing the absolute most, in a late, in a, and just on a on a vibe that we've never seen him be on before. I love that. For the rest of these, though, Charles Melton, I've known Charles Melton from Riverdale. I know for most people, they're just being introduced to him, but he is clearly such a talent, and I think you get some of that on Riverdale, but this is him, like, just wearing so much and, and coming out with such, like, subtlety. I love to see yeah. Charles Melton um, just suddenly be a star. I hope he becomes one of the biggest movie stars, which I would also love to see for Glenn Howard. <laughs> yes! I'm so, oh, I'm so glad that he... Because he, he is so talented, and I really love the It's Always Sunny podcast, mm-hmm. and... Like, there's a whole chunk of that where he was like, well, I'm currently filming this movie, <laughs> like, as he was making Blackberry. And I feel like all three of those guys are so talented and could do such huge things. Totally. And they've sort of, you know, like, had their places and found their moments and have such success with It's Always Sunny. But, like, he's he's, <laughs> he's got that Juilliard insanity. You gotta unleash it in some major films instead of just playing Dennis. I've had the feeling for a while that his performance as Dennis is, like, the best performance on TV right now. But, like, That's to see him, like, pull off something dramatic that that has that Dennis core to it still, yes. it's, yes. It's, he's amazing in it. Like, he's he's got, like, control over just, like, the muscles of his face. Yeah. He can control, like, minutely and do these incredible things. Yeah. And I really, really hope that this starts him into some, like, big, big budget fun stuff where he can really, like, flex and have, like, a budget behind him. I want to see him in everything. I know he was... Yeah. ...allegedly considered for the Star-Lord role in Guardians of the Galaxy, but I'm like... I would much rather see him do more stuff like Blackberry. <laughs> yeah. That is that would have so totally changed like I feel like the plot of human history. Yeah. <laughs> like that is so drastically different. It is. And probably would have kept Chris Pratt from getting as big as he did. Absolutely. Which could have really saved us some real mm-hmm. some real trouble and stinkers. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling and Barbie, I think similar mm-hmm. to Ruffalo and Poor Things, the thing that's nice about it is that he's going so, like, gonzo and, and weird and making all these quirky little choices. I think Ruffalo probably outshines him in that regard, but they're both, like, mm-hmm. performances I'll probably never forget. And De Niro just... 
<laughs> slam dunking it for the first time in decades just like coming out of yeah. retirement to be like let me act good again um, let me let me not just get collect a paycheck this time uh, reminding us why he's a goat um yeah because this is the same year he did about my father which looked true. horrendous yeah <laughs> Like, I didn't see it, but I had to see that goddamn trailer so many freaking times. Yeah, yeah. A big year for Cinema Italiano between <laughs> <laughs> the Pope's Exorcist, uh, Mafia Mama, yeah. <laughs> Ferrari. Ferrari, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think this goes to Ruffalo for me, at least in this moment, but these are all great, great performances. This is like a, a really stacked category. Thinking about the people that I would shout out from this. I feel like theater camp as a whole has so many minor, minor bits that hold it together mm-hmm. or don't hold it together, but minor bits that really make it shine, that make it feel like a camp. Like it's got that sort of superstore sort of like, and here's sort of something else random going on that fills out the world. And so much of that is so carried so lovely by like child actors who are really, doing their best and really like it's a movie that couldn't work without the child actors holding their own you know yes and they all do such a good job and i i just i loved theater camp theater camp is great i think jimmy jimmy tatro really stood out as like that guy's a star oh yeah and patty harrison is so yes. funny always <laughs> nathan lee graham as like yeah. the the like movement director oh my god i loved alan kim as like the kid agent <laughs> Yes. Yes. It's like, it's a movie where the ensemble has to be strong because it's such an ensemble film. Mm-hmm. And so every little performance just shown in its own beautiful way. Absolutely. The one, I don't remember which the name of the kid was, but the kid who, like, at the end, he, like, comes out as straight. Mm-hmm. I loved him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's do lead actor. Okay. My nominees are Dave Bautista, Knock at the Cabin, mm. Zach Efron, The Iron Claw. Mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers. Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer. And Jason Schwartzman, Asteroid City. What a lovely group of dudes. Yeah, some nice fellas here. <laughs> fellas I have to give... Grab a pint with. <laughs> I have to give, like, the biggest shout-out to Andrew Scott in All of Us Strangers. Because mm. the entire movie is basically him. Like, there yeah. are other people in the movie, but it's such a small cast... And he's the only one that's on screen, like, t- the entire time. And he brings this... Because, like, so much of that movie is, like, his character regressing mm-hmm. and, like, getting worse. And he does it in this really subtle way. It's just... It, it's a performance of... It's probably my favorite thing I've seen him do. Jamie Bell also does a really good, like, supporting part in that movie that's really funny. Mm-hmm. But, like, Adam Scott... Not Adam Scott. Sorry, Andrew, Andrew Scott. Scott. Yeah. Very different Andrew. Um, yeah. He just blows... He blew me away in that movie. Totally, yeah. And he's, he's someone I, I, I don't know. To, I love to see recognition for. Um, I still yeah. want to see that movie, but I was surprised that it didn't get into the Oscars. I thought that would have been a sure thing. Yeah. I'm really kind of annoyed that it didn't because it was certainly something. Yeah. And it would have, if, like, when it comes to, like, horror movies making it into the award world, it is one where I could see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, it's one 
all kinds of awards, and it's, you know, one of the most acclaimed movies of the year. But yeah, looking at these, Schwartzman in Asteroid City, I think, just does some of the best work of his career, brings such weight to it. The idea, the whole notion that the movie is is him who was, like, the kid in the first Wes Anderson movie, now being the dad figure, like, mm-hmm. he, he, he just collects so much in himself, um... And leads such a great ensemble. Uh, mm-hmm. Killian and Oppenheimer also just just knocking it out of the park. Just you know, being like, "This is this is the one for for Killian Murphy." Mm-hmm. He's always been such a great mm-hmm. actor. Same with Paul Giamatti getting to be Paul Giamatti <laughs> and just yeah. like just like nail it. Um, it's it's so great to see. And I didn't like the holdovers that much, but but Paul knocks it out of the park. Efron and the Iron Claw, I think. Yeah, there there are a few actors working right now who who play to their own strengths better than Zac Efron does, and I think mm-hmm. in this role he just like it's a very sad and heavy movie, and he mm-hmm. becomes the avatar for that so well. Yeah, and Dave Bautista in Knock at the Cabin uh, is not one I expected I him. to make it all this way, but it's just such a weighty performance. And yeah. he, he just brings such gravitas to what, like, with without that sense of weight, it would have just been, it, it would have been the happening. It would have been, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you could yeah, yeah. you could see a, a Mark Wahlberg type leading this movie and it just being a disaster. <laughs> but uh, Batista totally, totally sells it. And it, it, it it's definitely one of the performances I most think about from this year. That's fantastic. I didn't get to see that, but... You're really selling me on, like, having to go back and catch it. Yeah, um, it's a good one. It's tough for me. I think it's between Murphy and Schwartzman for me. Um, mm-hmm. I loved Oppenheimer. Uh, my favorite movie of the year. But I feel like Schwartzman and Asteroid City is really... It's, it's the one for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Schwartzman had a crazy year in general with that and Spider-Verse <laughs> and Hunger Games and Quiz yeah. Lady. Like, like, he's everywhere. <laughs> Some other performances that just really hit me this year nick cage in renfield Mm. absolutely fucking killing the game very good nick cage is on a whole roll here now and i love it he he, i came very close to putting him in for dream scenario and and he's in this he's in sympathy for the devil with joel kinnaman Mm -hmm. which is like Mm -hmm. nothing but but he's like really good in it (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like that's his thing right now is being in nothing movies and absolutely <laughs> smashing it out of the park. Yeah. Which has kind of been his thing for a while, but yeah. now we're like, I'm paying more attention to him again. And part of that is Renfield. Like, I, I for me, it's a very mid movie. Yeah. Um, it did some cool stuff. It did some annoying stuff. But he, every time he is on screen, every eyeball in the world, I feel like is on him. Like he has the, his charisma and magnetism. Yeah as dracula is so perfect for the role of dracula with that like high camp sensibility i love it i feel like that movie could have had something if not for the aquafina subplot but yes absolutely but i was so hype on the idea of nicholas cage's dracula i want him to just be bella lugosi i want him to just be the yes. the stable dracula for 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 yes. universal please uh he could have been in Last Voyage of the Demeter. He could be in uh, the the Chloe Zhao one. Whenever that gets made, he could just do it all. The another performance that I want to like just like highlight, and is Tobin Bell in Saw X. And I know totally. I keep bringing up Saw X, but it's genuinely one of my favorite movies of the year. 
Um, and Tobin Bell is so good as Jigsaw and as John Kramer, like who is ostensibly the villain of all of those movies. But Tobin Bell pulls off the, so well the idea of like this man trying to do good that you are empathizing with him. And Saw X is the epitome of that because it's the first time that we get a John Kramer is the main character Saw movie, which is really cool and really gives Tobin Bell like room to shine in this role that he's been doing for so long and has always been killing it at. Mm-hmm. You know, like him in Saw 2 is amazing. I don't, I don't, have you seen any slash all of the Saw movies? Just the first one. Saw 2 is fantastic because it's the one where Mark Wahlberg beats the shit out of Tobin Bell. Mm. Um, it's really... Saw 2 is really fun. Saw 3 is amazing. It's my other favorite movie in the franchise besides 1 and X. But Tobin Bell kills it. And I'm so glad that both he, that we got Shawnee Smith back for this one, but that Tobin Bell got to be like, I am the main character of my own franchise for a movie, and yeah. I will kill it. I think it's really instantly fun when it's like... This guy is 20 years older, and now we're just putting him back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, he's old enough when they started making the movies that you don't... It's less obvious that he's aged right. the way it is with Shawnee Smith, where it's like she was like 20-something, mm-hmm. and now it's 20 years later, and she's a 40-year-old, and we're like, we see you, Amanda. Right. Um, it's like uh, the orphan prequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... I'm so glad they did it like that, though. Like, yeah. I'm like, keep giving me... I don't care. Shawnee Smith can be 80, and you could still be making Saw movies set before 3, but I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. girl. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Best lead actress. Mm. The nominees are Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, Natalie mm-hmm. Portman, May December, Kaylee Spaney, Priscilla, Emma Stone, Poor Things, and mm. Tiana Taylor, 1001. Uh, thousand, mm. thousand and One is the one I haven't gotten to talk about yet, but that is just a really, yeah. great, really great drama that just kind of came out of the beginning of the year, did a little better than anyone thought it would, and it's just like a really good movie. And Tiana Taylor, I, I know as a performer, obviously, and as a model and all that, mm-hmm. as a singer, but she, this is basically her first movie role, her first like lead role in a movie, and she's just brings such weight to it she's so like she has this kind of otherworldly beauty but then she also just like it just carries it so much and there's a twist at the end that i think a lot of people would feel is like cheesy and undermines the emotional core of the movie but i think Mm -hmm. she sells it really well and becomes such a complex character and that's Mm -hmm. what i love about all of these is how complex they are yeah i the thing that amazes me about uh, Lily Gladstone's performance is that I still haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, but every time I had to watch that trailer, she she stole the show in a trailer. Yeah. Like, in a trailer, I was already mesmerized by what she was bringing. Yeah. Like, it was, like, you know, like, five different clips of, like, her in various, like, really, like, big, flashy moments of the movie, but the fact that it's such a distilled amount of that performance still is the thing I think about when I think about that movie speaks so many volumes to like how incredible she is in this role. Yeah. Her and Charles Melton are definitely like the newly minted movie stars of the year, but Mm -hmm. she has the best voice in, in the world. She has such a, such a magnetic just presence and such a chill vibe, even in like these, these really gut wrenching moments. She just has this cool about her. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she's just really cool. <laughs> yeah. For the rest of these, Emma Stone is is one of the great living actors and really proved it uh, at the very end of this year between this and The Curse. I think she's doing... Mm-hmm. I think her performance in The Curse is one of the best things I've ever seen, but in Poor Things, she's also like walking a very delicate line and just showing that progression in, in, in such a cool way. I already talked about Kaylee Spaney and Priscilla. Uh, again, she just like... The whole movie is basically like her alone for, for like 80% of it. And she sells the like quiet inner turmoil of it so well. She's a great mm-hmm. person to put at the front of a Sofia Coppola movie because she can just mm-hmm. make those silent, still, hollow moments feel like they have such weight. Um, yeah. And Natalie Portman in May December is so good. So, such an enigma. <laughs> such a like. You're, you're on her side and then you realize like she's kind of fetishizing the story and all this and it, it builds to such a cool conclusion that's a great like acting movie even though i think i do have to give this to lily gladstone i just think may mm-hmm. december is a a great acting piece yeah yeah every time i hit this sort of place where people are like talking about actresses i always feel like the the Billy on the street bit where he runs up and says, for a dollar, name a woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, hi. <laughs> um, so nothing's really coming to mind besides the ladies in 80 for Brady absolutely killing it. Totally. Um, so we've got three more categories and we're technically under two hours right now. So we are... Uh, yeah, I was going to say... Crushing. I feel like last year we were like, it was 10 p.m. Yeah. And we weren't even in the big ones yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've had a good flow for these. I think I've... Yeah. Started to started to learn to make it easier for myself when I'm editing. <laughs> yes. And I definitely have realized that when I pre-prepare too much, I get in my own head and it's like, it's so much easier for me to just be like, yeah. my thoughts, totally. off the cuff. There's some people who, there's some guests who I'll have where I'll know, where either I'll know that I have to prepare a lot or I'll like... Mm-hmm rely on my notes a lot and that's how i know that we haven't like found our rhythm yet you're someone who like we could come in with no notes and just talk for (laughs) for three hours yeah Yeah. we could pick that would actually it'd be fun to do an episode where it was like we don't have a topic beforehand we just see what happens or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) but yeah three more categories we can take our time with these uh Mm. best first feature for a director Mm. the nominees are rain allen miller rye lane Kyle Edward Ball, Skin of a Rink. Molly mm. Gordon and Nick Lieberman, Theater Camp. Mm. A.V. Rockwell, 1001. And Joel Taylor, They Clone Tyrone. Tough one. I like all these movies. Yeah, I don't think I can sing the praises of Theater Camp enough. Mm. Throughout the year, it's been the movie that... Then this tends to happen, that I'll see something like early summer and be like, this was amazing it'll take a lot to like really topple this from being my favorite movie of the year. And that's really been theater camp for me this year. Wow. Okay. It was just, I don't know. It was refreshing and light and fun. And it hit all the things that like, I really want out of a movie Mm -hmm. of just like solid performances, solid, like message that, like theater camp's more direct about it but that's because it's like more of like a comedy mockumentary and they kind of do have to just like hand it to you Mm. um just i don't know like just the nature of i guess you can do it more complexly but i don't know it's so good and it's so good for a debut yeah (laughs) 
yeah, it, 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 it it's really self-assured, and it's a great one, uh, especially when like a comedy re- really hits it out of the park on the first try. That's really hard to accomplish. Yeah, that's so hard. Um, but but the rest of these are all feats in their own way. I mean, Ryan Lane, as I said, just has such a crazy, unexpected style and still really works as a rom-com. There's good chemistry between them. Um, that was one of the few movies. It was that Medusa Deluxe and Lola, all of which are these movies by first-time mm-hmm. directors, these British films that like sort of came out of nowhere, at least from my perspective. And I was just like, they're, yeah. they're such like clearly defined visions here. Those all came very close to making the list. Um, yeah. Skinnamarink, I've already talked about, just like a totally self-assured work of style and again, truly experimental film that I think speaks to this exciting crossover of YouTube horror, like the, the, the new spheres of horror that that's created and how we're now starting to see that come into horror movies i mean you could also say that about yeah. like, talk to me being being directed by youtube guys and like yeah you know other things that are coming coming out around the bend now people like jane Schoenbrunn who you know come from this very indie horror world that where things like skinnamarin can can find an audience you know it's it's crazy and then a thousand and one is a gorgeous movie that's you know for that to be someone's debut is crazy and they clone tyrone again just has like a really fun unique black exploitation inspired sci-fi vision that i that i had so much fun with um ha 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 maybe i give this to a thousand and one i feel like that's the most like it's just a drama it's pretty simple and the fact that it is so well done being someone's first movie is is wild to me i was trying to see if i had even really like seen any other debuts that i wanted to bring up and i thought that what happens later might have been Meg Ryan's debut, but it isn't. Oh. It kind of feels like it's a debut. It has that vibe, um, yeah. It was a movie that I really wanted to like a lot more than I think I did. I they have great chemistry, but there's yes, th- the movie is very weird. I my favorite thing about it was how weird it was. Mm-hmm. Like I was expecting a much more straightforward rom com, and then when I was given this like really weird, like slow, surreal, existential, like, palpably adapted from a play, yeah. which I didn't realize until like ten minutes in, I was like, "Oh, this this has to be based on a play." Kind of weirdly spiritual. And, Did like, you ever see uh, Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder? I didn't. It really reminded like me a, of that. It, it, it just, okay, they're both. They both have those same like weird, bottled up, like mostly just two people talking vibes. Interesting, because I had always thought Destination Wedding was more straightforward. But if it's closer to what happens later, mm-hmm. that's very fascinating to me. Yeah, there is some there. There is a, a moment of very transphobic dialogue in Destination Wedding, okay. which is noted. It happens from time to time. Yeah, yep. The characters yep. are supposed. Yep. I am also <laughs> the characters are supposed to be awful people, but it's like it, it yeah. comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I am also a fan of Thirty Rock. It, mm-hmm. it happens sometimes. We've all been there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I necessarily saw any other like big debuts that I was excited about. Well, though. Lady for Brady's a debut. Oh, it is. Yeah. Hot damn! I didn't realize that. There's a, a solid debut. Yeah, that, that is a good. And again, debut. very surreal. Yeah, and and a comedy with a certain amount of vision that that, that people didn't really expect. It, it's yeah similar to theater camp in that way. Best director. Okay. We're 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 coming up on it now. Yeah. My nominees are. Ari Aster, Bo is Afraid. Mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig, Barbie. Mm-hmm. Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things. Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. And Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon. 
classic. Yeah. Much like last year, I feel like this is a category where it's this is where the big names come out to play. Yeah. <laughs> the beloved favorites. The heavy hitters. This you know. and like supporting actor. <laughs> yeah, you know, last year it was a lot of people like Spielberg and 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 George Miller and James Cameron, you know, we were talking about how mm-hmm. all these people are back. But this year it was people, mm-hmm. it was recluses. It was like Michael Mann and Hayao Miyazaki are back, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those are two people who came very close to making the list, but obviously didn't in the yep. end. Uh yep. David Fincher too. Um I mean, the director was a tough one this year. Oh, I just... Creed 3 was a debut, too. Yeah, it was. And he kind of killed it. He Absolutely did. He smashed it, it. Yeah. And he brought so much of his own... Because I was just thinking, like, other movies where, like, the direction really, like, slapped. Yeah. And Creed 3 is one of them. It it's is. so... It's so Michael Jordan. Like, it's you can... Within five minutes... There's like a Lupin three poster on the wall. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, there's there's vision to it. There's a vision here, and for it to be a debut within a franchise that is so about like writer director star mm-hmm. moments, definitely something that is up there for me. Yeah, I will also say I will shout out um, Charlie Day's debut film Fool's Paradise, mm. which mm-hmm. I was hoping Talk about I surreal. would. I was hoping <laughs> I would love it and. I ended up thinking it was kind of a disaster. I still liked it, but I was mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really come together. Making Ken Jeong kind of the protagonist was maybe not the best choice. I think... <laughs> yeah. I, he, he talks about how, like, Guillermo del Toro gave him a note that made him change the script, and I think del Toro's note was probably, this needs, like, a speaking protagonist. Um, but I don't know <laughs> if Ken Jeong was the right call. Yeah. There's a, a great ensemble in that movie, though. Like, Edie Falco's so funny, Adrian Brody, Common, John Malkovich. Yeah, that's that's not a good movie, but but one that I <laughs> would hate to leave out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, for Best Director here, again, Bo is Afraid is just... I was totally on, in, in the pocket for it. I love to see someone who's totally doing his own thing. And I like Ari Aster. I like both of his other movies, and I think they're very well directed. But he really popped off with Bo. Uh, yeah. Greta Gerwig, Barbie, I think that movie is such a feat of direction. It both yes. Barbie and Poor Things have a lot in common, and it's hard to put them against each other because Poor Things is, is the better film. But mm-hmm. they have this Tim Burton thing of like they really create their own worlds, and it's like this isn't yeah. this isn't my reality at all. And yeah. it, it, it's so impressive to see that all the time. Um, and Gerwig, I think yeah. this is I said it in the Barbenheimer episode. I think this is easily her greatest achievement as a director. Um, there are a lot of things I don't like about Barbie, but it is a, a great feat of direction. <laughs> Barbie for me is all about the production, mm-hmm. like the effort and time that was put into the production design and like the follow through on the production of that movie is far and above my favorite thing about it. Totally, like. I don't know. It like almost. I wouldn't say it over outshines the rest of it. It's just like the rest of it didn't do anything for me. Mm. Like it, when America Ferrera is giving her women's speech, <laughs> classic. Line. All I could think about, yeah, all I could think about was the women's speech in Little Women. Yeah, that still chokes me up. Like I rewatched Gerwig's Little Women this last Christmas, mm. and watching it in sort of like a post Barbie moment. Mm. It blows me away that people are all pointing to Barbie as, like, 
the like feminist masterpiece or whatever. Yeah. And it's like little women did it way, way better and way more subtly and did it without being have to backed by like Mattel as a brand. Yeah. Like when it comes to Gerwig, Little Women is like my favorite for a number of reasons. And I think part of it is just that like it's saying the things that she's trying to say across so many of her movies, I feel like Little Women got at it in a way that if it affected me the most. Yeah. I really respect Barbie for... I came out feeling like it had a very negative attitude about Barbie as a brand. And it feels like, for me, yeah. the, I, I, there, there's definitely... It's obviously, like, studied in feminism and has that at its core, which I think is a yeah. very... I think it's very smart to do that without naming without naming a, a particular feminism. Like, yeah. trying, you know, because cause people are going to get mad at that either way. But... Um, yeah. I think more than anything, it's about. It, I, I think I, I said at the time. I think Gerwig condemns Barbie in the same sense that Nolan condemns Oppenheimer. She's yeah. like Barbie is the problem, and she's responsible for. She can't be the solution. So like Barbie has to renounce Barbieism to 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 mm-hmm. have her resolution at the end. Um, yeah, the ending of Barbie hit me very hard because it. The moment where she's like, um, basically the whole the whole idea of like you don't have to ask to be happy, you don't have to ask for what you want, you can just be it. Mm. I was like, that's so incredibly trans, and like that moment, yeah. I was like, oh, push me back into my seat in the theater. A lot of the other narrative and like really like we are giving you a big idea here moments in Barbie didn't hit me, and I fully recognize that like I'm not the target audience, and I've talked to other people who are the target audience who like adored those sections of it Mm -hmm. but the ending note of you can just be you can just be yeah it's a it's a movie that interrogates what womanhood is but a a friend broke down the the idea of the movie as a trans allegory by by saying that like barbies are a distinct gender from women in the world of the movie Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. the main character transitions from a barbie to a woman and like sort of yeah. discovers what one of them is, and you know, I, I think yeah. there's definitely something there. There's also some some trans allegory to be read in Poor Things for sure. <laughs> yes, well, anytime you start throwing Frankenstein around, yeah, all all the trans horror nerds like myself are <laughs> are piqued our interest. Yeah, yeah, the two movies that that are very interesting things to say about gender. Um, although I, I I think Poor Things is more about like sex like fucking (laughs) it's about relationships and and gender is the prism of it but in the same way that that barbie is a i think a creative leap for gerwig oppenheimer is such a leap for for nolan you know Mm -hmm. nolan is is not my favorite guy i i like i've liked most of his movies but i've never been like oh i I can't wait to see the new christopher nolan and then oppenheimer (laughs) is so much more like expressionistic and is doing such interesting things with like it's editing it's you know such a classically great movie and so is killers of the flower moon but uh, scorsese could win a lot of these awards and i i think flower moon is like a a lower grade masterpiece in scorsese's career you know yeah um, yeah say so i give this to oppenheimer solid my favorite scorsese movie is still age of innocence yeah 
And that's partly on my brain because when I left All of Us Strangers, I had to explain to my friend that I went with how, like, Age of Innocence is Scorsese's most violent film. Mm, mm -hmm. And, like, that's one of my favorite takes on it is how, like, without shedding any blood, it is the movie that is the most, like, tearing you and the characters apart. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt leaving All of Us Strangers. I don't know what I have to say about that. I think I just needed to give a shout-out to Age of Innocence. Yeah. Because it is so mind-bogglingly good totally i think in terms of scorsese i need to watch silence again i feel like silence was at the time really yeah. really really hit me um wolf of wall street is so good good fellas <laughs> you know there's something that it's like yeah obviously yeah, yeah. but king of comedy yeah. after his performance hours. in fishtail Fish, shark, shark tail yeah elemental was a movie that i like went in expecting it to be zootopia and i was like wait this is kind of shark tail <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're up to the last category. Okay. We're making great time. Okay. Thank you to everyone who's joined us. Yeah. My ten nominees for Best Picture are... Okay. Asteroid City, Bo is Afraid, Blackberry, The Boy and the Heron, Killers of the Flower Moon, May-December, Oppenheimer... Wait, hold on. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I accidentally nominated 11 movies, so I'm going to get rid of one right now. May, December, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Rotting in the Sun, and Priscilla. Yeah. I'll just make it 11. The other one was Skinnamarink. <laughs> just throw it in there. I'll throw it in there. Skinnamarink deserves to have its own little moment, because it was so... It's it's so rare that a movie like that gets as far as it does. So it's like absolutely it gets its own little honorary something or other. Absolutely, yeah. Great year for movies. <laughs> Great year for movies. Lots of really good ones. I think I think what's going to happen is the same thing that happened last year, where we recorded the pulpies and then immediately I saw something I'd been meaning to see. I was like, actually, that was the greatest thing I saw. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, there's enough things that I missed that. Looking at my letterbox mm -hmm. for the year, my two five-star movies are Theater Camp and Creed Three, mm. um, and then my four and a half-star movie is All of Us Strangers, mm. which I think says a lot about me as a person that I gave Creed Three five stars, but not All of Us Strangers. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I could change. I I don't know, but those are definitely the movies that like I left the theater being the most like it felt like my eyebrows had been blown off mm -hmm. by the filmmaking. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite ways to leave a movie. I, I'm not going to take a look, but the one movie that comes to mind that I gave five stars, and I stand behind that in the sense it was how I was feeling at the time, but it never came close to being <laughs> on this list, was Carmen yeah. with Paul Meskel and uh, Melissa Barrera. A very weird kind of musical, a very stupid movie in a way that I really liked. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, just a, just a dumb piece of shit about like the border or whatever. <laughs> pretty good one uh, but yeah looking at these these are all movies that we've talked about Asteroid City I was just so blown away by how thematically resonant it is and like it's not just thoughtful in the way that all of Wes's movies are but it's like intimate and personal and it deals with grief mm -hmm. on this very human level that sometimes Wes doesn't have and it's just themes and that's great for me but some people don't like it <laughs> yeah yeah well, that's, I think, part of why Moonrise Kingdom is still my favorite of his. Because it, it gets it, like, the really... The, the core of it is just the really simple need of just, like, wanting to be wanted, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, wanting to have people that care about you. 
And it's like a very like simple sort of mythic underpinning that then can like get all wrapped up in all of Wes Anderson's fun kookiness. Yeah, I think I think Asteroid City does something similar and really ratchets it up with the you know, a lot of Wes's movies have these layers of artifice where it's like, it's a story about a recount of uh, this, and in this case, it's a um, TV show about a fictional play. <laughs> He's like, I, I gotta do layers upon layers upon layers, which I love. But I think the movie is about how, like, we create to deal with grief and uncertainty and, you know with the alien and the dead mom and the the old west and the the atom bomb and like all these things kind of come together in this fantastic mm-hmm. way there's there's literally a, a road runner that goes beep beep in the movie <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it all it all ties together in an incredible way um and yeah there's the, the the climactic moment where the whole cast is just chanting you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep at the camera and it's like this is west like directly telling you the thesis statement for all of his movies <laughs> And yeah. people are still like, yeah. oh, he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a call for help mm-hmm. from the audience of, like, take me seriously. Yeah. And I respect that. Like, I have a big thing for me this year was that movies like Barbie felt like they were really spoon feeding the ideas to the audience, mm-hmm. which I don't have a ton of stomach for. It kind of it kind of depends on the movie. But sometimes, especially when it's a director who is so known for aesthetics but not necessarily for substance. Mm-hmm. Mad respect. Mad respect to just be like, I am also substance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I saw the last movie, the Dennis Hopper film, um, recently, mm-hmm. and I was just, it reminded me of the a thing that was done a lot in the 70s and in the New Hollywood era, where it's just like, you could drop someone into something, and it could be total chaos for 15 minutes, and let people start to pick up the pieces of what it is. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I totally think there's a thing this year where there are a lot of movies. I felt this way about Zone of Interest. I think some people feel the opposite, but there are a lot of movies that like are just like if I don't tell you what's going on, then you're then you're not gonna get it. And it's like, and they yes. strip away so much of what they could have with like character and being in the world yeah. to just tell everything yeah. to you. I think it's another like offshoot of the MCUify MCUification of everything is that like we have to give you the exact explanation yeah. and all of this because otherwise like, it's a plot repository details yeah and it's like I don't I don't give a shit yeah <laughs> it doesn't have to be spelled out you can give me whatever and I will accept it if you're doing it in a way that like shows if you're giving it to me again kind of going back to that idea of like sincerity mm-hmm. like. If the movie is very sincerely telling me that this is what is happening, I fully will trust and believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I think the Saw movies are a great example of that. Of like, if you can tell me that Carrie Elwes chopped his foot off and then dragged himself through those damn halls and survived, I believe you because you're telling me with your whole chest that that's what happened. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to be spoon fed what you want me to think. I want to be leaving the movie and wanting to debrief it with my friend and like having lots of thoughts. Yes. And like, even James Cameron is such a director that's like, here is like some of my ideas, mm-hmm. Here's but the he thing. keeps it all in such a, yeah, he keeps it on such a like basic mythic level mm-hmm. where you can interpret so much more out of it yeah. that it leaves room for the interpretation, even with the like, it's about love. I'm like, actually, it's about all this other stuff, you know? Yeah. My favorite kind of like sci-fi blockbuster thing is the stuff that, that is, is really like a fairy tale. 
at its, at its yes, core. That's why yeah. I love the Wachowskis. It's why I like that's that's how I describe Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness when I talk about why I like it. Um, yeah. But speaking of movies that do not meet their audience halfway, Bo is afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, again, I always love when a director gets to really go whole hog with a massive budget and just go yeah. in the completely opposite direction of like what a hollywood movie is it's scary but it's not horror and it's funny but it's not quite a comedy and it's doing this michelle gondry charlie kaufman surrealist thing that you know that, that everything ever all at once also did but that it's just like it, it, it it's just here's what's inside my head <laughs> and, and i always love that yeah. from a director blackberry is a great great movie um i think i think matt johnson is just enough of a he is a mean guy <laughs> that allows him to speak with such clarity on things like blackberry like yeah. he is someone who is not afraid to diss someone he talked about how much he hates Bo is afraid in, a, in an interview i watched and i was like i love the drama he's a messy bitch yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i have been watching so many hours of gordon ramsay tv recently that's mm. been like my real kick and part of why I love it is because he just doesn't hold it back. He just tells you exactly what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And whether that's that he thinks your decor is ugly or, like, he thinks that you're an asshole for stealing tips. Like, he just gives it to you. Yeah. And I, I love that. Yeah. And I think it, it Blackberry is awesome. Well, first of all, I wanted to shout out another debut movie, Randall Park's Shortcomings, which um, mm, yeah, it starts with a really mean joke about crazy rich Asians that I was just like, this is the kind of drama that I want to see in movies. <laughs> you know? yes. yes. I love Randall Park. I'm so glad he's directing now. Yeah. He's so funny in Aquaman too. Also like, like his character is, <laughs> is insane. <laughs> I, I still want him to release a full hip hop album. Like the song, there are like three songs that they wrote for always be my maybe. Mm-hmm. And all of them slap. They're all so good. Yeah. And I want him to release a full hip-hop album so bad. <laughs> His character in Aquaman 2, uh, there's like 10 moments where a scene ends and you're like, oh, well, I guess he died. And then he shows up in the next scene and you're like, you're still alive? <laughs> I love that. That's so John Wick of him. <laughs> he's just wearing like a zip-up underwater, you know, he's like a... <laughs> And and he's like the henchman to Yaya Abdul Mateen, and like he's just oh. seeing him like sinisterly holding a baby, and he's like every scene as of him being like, you know, I'm not sure about this guy. <laughs> I'm starting to have second thoughts. <laughs> I love that. God, what a cast! Yeah, there. God, there's so much to say about the cast in that movie. Um, yeah, Boy in the Heron again really hit me as like for for like its metaphorical meaning and its its self-reflection and that's also just such an imaginative world that it conjures um that's that's just classic miyazaki but it it hit me in a way that a lot of these movies don't frankly um killers of the flower moon i've already sung his praises it's a it's a scorsese masterpiece a great sort of bundle to his the 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 sort of hagiography of american greed that he has in his movies yeah you can pair it with like goodfellas and and wolf of wall street and the irishman just just these stories about like you know i mean gangs of new york even just this entire history of like and 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 killers of the fire moon is like the mic drop of like you know here's what's really at the root and you're a part of it too it's yeah stunning may december as i said strikes a really great tone i saw may december in the perfect 
way to see it unfortunately it's a netflix movie but i saw it in the perfect way where i was sitting at the front of the theater cackling and everyone else was dead silent (laughs) (laughs) i love that oh my god Oppenheimer is just stunning, and it's just the movie I've come back and thought about the most. My brother was telling—I was on the phone with my brother, like, earlier this year, and he was like, Oppenheimer's going to be the best movie of the year. And I was like, sure, man. But (laughs) he got me on that one. Uh, Yep. Poor Things uh, rocks. Poor Things, again, is just, like, a totally new vision, a a totally new world, just built from the ground up, and Emma Stone doing Mm -hmm. really legendary stuff, and Mark Ruffalo is so funny, and Willem Dafoe is so great. Margaret Mm -hmm. Qualley and Christopher Abbott come in, like, halfway through the movie, and you're like, hell yeah. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) great stuff. Priscilla, uh, it it hit me the most out of the Sofia Coppola movies I've seen. I haven't seen a lot of her, like, cult Mm -hmm. classic stuff, but... um, yeah, Priscilla is just such a heavy, such a, you know, Elvis was my favorite movie of last year, and I feel like this is such an incredible counterweight of, like, yeah, I mean, it really goes there in a way that you don't think a movie about Elvis could. Like, the first scene yeah. is is her doing her algebra homework. Like, like you're instantly yeah. like, oh, shit. <laughs> and it totally leaves a holds nothing back. Yeah, mad respect. Was it in production... I'd be so interested to know the story of, like, how close or how much people were aware that, like, Elvis and Priscilla were going to come out so close to each other. Yeah, I think... I don't know if it was in production before Elvis came out. Um, It might have been, but, uh, you know, it's a smaller film, so it was definitely made on a quicker timeline. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think think Priscilla was consulting for both movies <laughs> so like yeah it, but but yeah Priscilla is is a, is a great one and made me get Sofia Coppola in a way that I maybe haven't before uh Skinamarink I've already talked about a bunch but Rotting in the Sun is just such a perfect like it just hits such this interesting cross-section of like it's a comedy and it's about these really dark themes and it's like it's stressful in that untut gems kind of way, but it's also like yeah. really gay, <laughs> and it, it's just yes. all it, 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 it's just so perfect in that way. And I think in a in a time where so much of the culture is fixated on reading gay themes onto say musicians who are obviously not gay. <laughs> yes. 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 This is yes. a reminder. Like, it, it, Rotting in the Sun feels like you know, like like, like a great porno from the seventies. I mean, it's it's yes. it's not really pornographic, but it's like it's something that you'd see in like a, a queer history archive. That's like you know, it reminds you how like radical gay art can be. Yes, this Rotting in the Sun was one I I don't even know I'd heard about it mm-hmm. until your top twenty five list came out, and immediately I was like, oh. I gotta see this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm even, as this come up multiple times here, I'm very guilty of the turning my incredibly normative cishet interests into queer mm-hmm. things. <laughs> Being like, oh, James Cameron makes trans movies. You just don't, you're just not reading them, right? Right. <laughs> um, but, I and I think that's part of why All Us Strangers hit me so hard. Because it was genuinely really gay and like so gay that you can't talk about it without talking about that which is very refreshing mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, yeah. I, I again, I need to see that. That's that and like Eileen. There, there. There's a few movies from this from 2023 that I miss. Those are two that I'm like maybe that could have ended up on here. Uh, Origin. I, I, I was like, I gotta make sure I see it, and then I was like, I'll just count this for 2024. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah. It, it could have ended up here in a couple places, but. As I said before, in this moment, Oppenheimer is my favorite movie of the year. As I've been mm-hmm. making these lists and these awards and things, I'm like, maybe six months from now, I'll feel like Rotting in the Sun was my favorite. Or mm-hmm. Bo, maybe Bo will climb in my estimation. Um, but yeah, Oppenheimer is just a movie I kept thinking about. A movie with so much emotional intimacy on such a grand scale. Mm-hmm. And so much fun mm-hmm. to like Matt Damon playing like Superintendent Chalmers, and um, the yeah. uh, it's great when so, I, I love how so much of the movie is just Robert Downey Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich talking to each other. Alden Ehrenreich, comeback of the century this year. I yes, I've I've always loved him. He did Oppenheimer. He did Cocaine Bear. He did Fair Play, which was a neat little thing that no one talked about because it was a Netflix movie. Um, he's back and he's better than ever. Uh, <laughs> I love to see it. So glad. Mm-hmm. Downey came very close to supporting actor for Oppenheimer too. He he really is phenomenal in that movie. I'm just glad he's because I don't I don't. I don't know what he even did between leaving the MCU and now. Like, I'm sure he did stuff, but it, like, wasn't on my radar. Almost nothing. He did Doolittle, which was in production for, like, a decade, and (laughs) (laughs) basically nothing else. I'm so glad that he just fully, like, took a break to separate himself from the Disney. Because, like, I think I forgot that he was, like, an actor outside of Disney movies, Mm -hmm. which is a shame. Yeah, he really. But it was just so tied to his entire personality for or his entire persona for so long. He really came in like for the first time, even before Iron Man, like the first time in decades to be like, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm one of the great actors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I got I got some talent under my belt. Yeah, Um, but everyone in Oppenheimer is a heavy hitter. Like it's just you know, yeah, a a cast of that's how Nolan does it. Yeah. Nolan's like, I gotta call up all of my best friends who are all of like these Oscar winning huge names to be in a movie where you cannot hear them. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, I think my three big ones are Theater Camp, Creed, and All of Us Strangers. Okay. I adored Godzilla Minus One. I adored Dungeons and Dragons, and I loved 80 for Brady. Mm-hmm. Um I think as usual, the things that I really loved were the ones that felt so removed from like the current filmmaking world because i'm just like so disillusioned and like fed up with like contemporary blockbusters but like i am such a blockbuster fan that every time anything punches through that i'm immediately like five stars i love it unstoppable i'll say i think i think um we we obviously saw superhero fatigue this year finally Mm, finally thank Um, god and I think things like Barbie and Oppenheimer and things like Asteroid City and things like Bo is Afraid, like all these things are, and Godzilla Minus One, all these things are like, part of, we're seeing things peek through the cracks and people get interested in yeah. filmmakers again and studios putting more trust behind them. And yeah, there are things coming out this year like Argyle and The Fall Guy that people are like, 
oh, these seem like lame blockbusters and they have that tone to them. But the fact that these are our lame blockbusters instead of more stuff like yeah. Godzilla, like Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like I, as a as a Guy Ritchie stan, I am also, of course, a big Matthew Vaughn fan mm-hmm. and I am psyched for Argyle mm-hmm. um, for a whole number of reasons. But yeah, if when Matthew Vaughn is becoming the like, oh, that looks lame. That's I like to live in that world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's Matthew Vaughn sign. of Kingsman fame. It's a good sign. I love that there are practically no uh, big superhero movies next year. I mean, there's like a couple, but it's like here's what it is next year. It's Deadpool three, which is gonna make money and might be good i don't know <laughs> i never saw the second one i didn't really like the first one at all i i i respect the first one as an artifact but it is it is not held up um joker 2 which is going to be amazing i'm i'm fully in the pocket mm-hmm. for it and i i did, didn't like mm-hmm. joker um and three sony spider-man movies which i'm i'm down for <laughs> yeah i'll take i've sony's been Sony and the X-Men, 20th Century Fox X-Men, have been sort of my last bastion of really liking superhero movies, mm-hmm. like current superhero movies. And 20th Century Fox X-Men are so far gone and away now, they're ancient history, which is tragic to me. But yeah. I'll still show up to the Sony Spider-Man movies, because they, I don't know, they have a spark to them that the MCU hasn't managed to maintain for years. Yeah, they struck such a weird goldmine with Venom. And uh, yes, know, we hopefully Venom Three is coming out next God, year. God, I love with, Venom uh, with like Tom Hardy writing, and you know that, that that's like they they really hit their stride with that. And the other ones, Morbius is bad. Um, <laughs> Madam Web, <laughs> but at least they, it was a swing for the fences. It was a swing. Yeah, these they're they're bad in interesting ways. I think Madam Web especially is probably going to be bad in a way that I really like. And Craven the Hunter is probably just going to be bad, but you know. <laughs> Craven the Hunter is probably going to be atrocious. Yeah. I don't know. Ugh. Craven the Hunter is one where I am intrigued enough that I might go see it, but it really depends on whether there's anything else out at the moment. I could see myself yeah. seeing that in theaters just to, like, hate on it, but we'll see. <laughs> if it gets that Morbius, like, dry April slot, people might see it for the fuck yeah. of it. I feel like, I feel like Aaron <laughs> Taylor Johnson hasn't really popped for me yet, so I'm like... Mm-hmm. Maybe this could be the thing, but I don't know. Probably not. Craven the Hunter is just like a a weird choice to make your next... As a character, he's a weird one. Mm-hmm. When you've got... Like, all of these big superhero studios have such huge cannons. And mm-hmm. then I feel like they pick literally, like, the randomest one. They're 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 in this weird middle ground where they don't... They, they only have access to Spider-Man villains. And... Yeah they don't want to do the ones that have already been in movies because <laughs> they yeah. want to establish a new franchise. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm happy that superhero movies are dying. I'm happy that Disney Thank is God. dying. Um, Thank And I'm... God! Oh my God. I'm very hopeful. I think there's been some really outstanding successes in the last mm-hmm. couple of months. I mean, just like Iron Claw being ahead and, and Holdovers being ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like we're moving in a direction where people are becoming interested in real movies again, and that's exciting. Yeah. And between RRR last year and Godzilla this year getting to see foreign language like fully subtitled movies at the cinemaplex yeah like my heart is singing it makes me so happy 
Yeah, well, even even with the rise of things, I think the fact that Boy and the Heron was a number one hit yeah. really took everyone by surprise, and that it was Godzilla yeah. and then Boy and the Heron week to week. Like, yeah, it's exciting. There's a lot of exciting things going on. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you have it. Can I shout out one more? Shout out one more. <laughs> shout out one more. We got all night. A movie that we basically did not talk about at all, but that I loved was Gran Turismo. Okay. Like. It's a movie that was made for me on many levels as a huge fan of video game movies and race car movies. Mm. They made a video game race car movie. <laughs> but I loved it. And I I don't know that I have anything really interesting to say besides that. Like, I think David Harborough was amazing. I love that David Harborough is introduced with, like, a full-body tracking shot as if he's, like, like talk about, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's... Like, a- let's sexualize David Harborough. Yeah not pop off it's a that that guy the main kid was also in saltburn and he he kind of popped this year mm-hmm. um it, it's an interesting idea of like what a video game movie can be it almost belongs more to like the corporate movie in a weird way mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but i was surprised by it because i i think district nine is still a really good movie but i was convinced that blomkamp was never gonna make a good movie again and i watched it and i was like no yeah. actually he still kind of got it doesn't he yeah like it it's a it's just a really solid sports movie and that's all i ever want out of sports movies is i because i know going in basically what the structure will be like every sports movie is basically built the same way and if you hit those goalposts and then manage to like make me care in the middle it just i love it it gives me a, a solid experience it's up there for me this year but that's mostly just as it like hit all of my filmmaking interests in a way. Yeah, there's I'm sure there's some other ones that, that I haven't shouted out, but you know, we've we've covered a wide array of subjects. Yeah. Another yeah. another great long episode in the bag. Thank you so much for joining me as always. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone who has stuck with us all this time. Um, if you yep. if you like the show you can rate or like or follow or whatever it is wherever you're listening to it hit that subscribe hit that subscribe button hit that bell smash Uh, that button (laughs) you weird you know we're on all the major platforms um and yeah next time we're going to do a little pledge drive and i'm not going to give away what that is just yet I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.